Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. What's happening, y'all? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss and get down on in the world of sports today. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Très bien. Merci à vous-même. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. Que passe, mi amigos? Me llamo a Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. Shalom. Wendell Wallace here with Wendell's World of Sports. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope everybody is doing wonderful. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make your community, to make your neighborhood, to make your state, to make your area a better place to be in. Go talk to somebody who doesn't look like you. Go talk to somebody with different views than you. Go talk to somebody with different backgrounds than you. Go talk to somebody with different experiences than you and have that uncomfortable conversation. But always remember to listen, learn, learn, listen, listen, educate through listening and learning, not talking, not debating, but listening and learning to try to make this place a better place to be in. All right, man, a lot of stuff to get into today in the world of sports. First of all, I want to say that for the first time on Wendell's World of Sports, first time, long time, should have happened, but you know what? It took some time for me to get into the uh, 21st century by learning Zoom. So finally, I've gotten the opportunity now to go ahead and interview somebody. I got my main man, Eric G. He does a, a sports talk radio show out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, The Sports Animal. You can listen to him every day, every Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Him and Coach Do- Jones do a great show. Known Eric for years. And um spoke to him a little bit about what's happening, first of all, with this whole Major League Baseball deal, which I'll be talking about in a few moments. Also talked to him about Mike Gundy, the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Not them Dallas Cowboys, but the Oklahoma State Cowboys. About exactly after everything that went down with that man over the summer or in the spring or whatever, how he still had the job, why he still had the job. Talked to him about that in the act of forgiveness in terms of some of the misdiscretions and discretions that Gundy has been through. Also talked a little bit about what's happening with the Oklahoma City Thunder as they move into the bu- uh, bubble as NBA, the NBA season is going to resume here, I believe, in a couple of hours with the first two games of the resumption of the season. And good Lord have mercy, I can't wait for this. Zion versus Utah and also the Clippers versus the Lakers. Going to also get down a little bit and talk about the NBA restart of the season moving forward and see what they can do to finish the season and get things going. So me and Eric had a really good conversation, as I mentioned before. Known them from years, a really good broadcaster. Did some um, did some um, uh, sports casting, talk show hosting in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He follows the Oklahoma City Thunder. He also did a local show in Oklahoma City, and now he's doing the show with Coach Pat Jones, former coach of Oklahoma State. Does a really good show out there again, eleven to two Central Standard Time on the Sports Animal. You can listen to him Monday through Friday. So let's begin this bad boy. Let's start off. 
with what I want to talk about, <clears throat> which is Major League Baseball, man. I tell you, I wish there was a way where we could just go ahead and talk about some of the things that's going down with baseball in terms of the individual performances and the team success or the lack of team success for some and the hot starts for some and the cold starts for others. I wish we could go ahead and get into that, but no, 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 no. It's been a very interesting, what, 92, 72 to 96 hours in the world of Major League Baseball. So on Monday... The Miami Marlins postponed their home opener against the Baltimore Orioles amid the COVID-19 outbreak in the clubhouse. The Marlins had at least at the time 14 of the players and staff members test positive for the coronavirus after their weekend games at Philadelphia. Now, this was a statement <clears throat> from Major League Baseball. It said, um, <clears throat> it said tonight's scheduled games between the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles at Marlins Park and the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Yankees at Citizens Bank Park, has been postponed while Major League Baseball conducts additional COVID-19 testing. The members of the Marlins Traveling Party are self-quarantining in place while awaiting the outcome of those results. Major League Baseball has been coordinating with the Major League Baseball Players Association of Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles, and the club medical staffs will continue to provide updates as appropriate. Major League Baseball and Players Associations following are following the health and safety protocols, which means, wouldn't it be that if they are, shouldn't it be that if these players came down with this virus, that they should be self-quarantining for 14 days? Not a situation where we think they might have the virus. If they do have the virus, they should be quarantining themselves for 14 days. So what does that mean for the Florida Marlins going forward? Now, they remained in Philadelphia to continue undergoing testing with the outbreak spreading throughout the clubhouse. I mean, this is a situation where you would think at the beginning, where, man, we might need to shut, not shut down the season, but there's a bunch of teams that need to be self-quarantining themselves. If there's a possibility, in fact, that the infections didn't occur sometime during the series against Philadelphia for the Marlins. This was a situation where the infections occurred Wednesday night. There's a possibility, excuse me, there's a theory going out there that the infections occurred Wednesday on the team's trip to and from Atlanta, where the Marlins played the Braves in an exhibition game. So I'm thinking to myself, the teams that could be affected by the virus and then if even if you have a hint, I know that they're going to do the testing and I know that they're going to do the other things, but Teams now that are going to be compromised because of this are Miami, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the New York Mets. What in the wide world of sports is going on here? So I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? Now, I know that the Mets went ahead and had their had their series with the uh, Boston Red Sox. And on Tuesday, Major League Baseball postponed all of the Miami Marlins games through Sunday. And in that announcement, <clears throat> Major League Baseball was talking about the Miami Marlins next six games, starting with Tuesday night's home game against the Baltimore Orioles, had been postponed, citing the belief that, quote, it's is most prudent to allow the Marlins time to focus on providing care for their players and planning their baseball operation for a resumption early next week. So the total number of Marlins players that have tested positive for the virus is 17. What exactly does that mean? What, what type of lawyer talks? speech talk is that where it says quote it is most prudent to allow the marlins time to focus on providing care for their players and planning their baseball operations for the resumption early next week early next week early next week you want me to say it again early next week 
like, what the hell are they talking about? Once again, I thought that when these players or anybody else in this world came down with the coronavirus, at the very least, they needed to self-quarantine themselves for 14 days. So wouldn't it behoove the Miami Marlins to be staying in that hotel for 14 days, quarantining themselves and not being around anybody else? What's prudent about the Marlins focusing on providing care for their players? Providing care in terms of you need to be isolated from everybody else for 14 days if I'm supposed to be knowledgeable at least a little bit on the subject of the coronavirus, right? So if the Marlins come back in 7 days, 10 days, 12 days for a team that they're playing against, they're going to be like, whoa, man, are you sure? Now, again, I'm quite sure that they'll go ahead and have to test, and if they test negative, and there'll be a situation where they'll be testing every day, and the day that these guys are negative, they'll get the, you know, okay to go out and resume regular play. But, man, I'm, I'm, if I'm a teammate, or if I'm a player, or if I'm an umpire, or anybody, Coming within contact in less than 14 days with the Miami Marlins, I'm like, fuck, no, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do some shit like that. Now, the Orioles, who were scheduled to host the Marlins in a two-game series starting Wednesday, instead, they're going to go ahead and host the New York Yankees for games uh, Wednesday through Wednesday and Thursday. So the schedule changed, changes announced by Major League Baseball on Tuesday were the Marlins versus the Orioles, or the Marlins at the Orioles on Wednesday and Thursday, that was postponed. The Nationals at the Marlins on the weekend series, Sunday, uh, Friday through Sunday, that was postponed. The Phillies versus the Yankees, Tuesday through Thursday, that was postponed. And the league also said that more rescheduling for the week of August 3rd will be announced this week. I don't know, man. This is just, look, I, you gotta, you gotta trudge forward. There's no turning back now. If you're Major League Baseball, I mean, people were speaking about, well, if this is going to cancel the season, Major League Baseball is screwed. You got to keep going, man. And let's always also remember that when you're speaking about Major League Baseball, just like you're speaking about the NBA, just like you're speaking about the NHL when they're going to resume, just when you're speaking about the um, MSL hockey, not I mean, so, uh, football, uh, football um league when you're speaking about the NFL even if you're speaking about college football the, the, the situation where it's you know we have to be really concerned about these players not catching the virus and minimizing the risk and all these things let's also make it a point that first and foremost we're speaking about money first and foremost we're speaking about leagues and owners and teams where they're going to be losing millions upon millions of dollars they're going to do everything they can to try to minimize the loss of revenue so just because a team had an outbreak especially a team like the florida marlins don't think that because of that that the season is going to end the players the owners still need that money the owners still need that playoff money so for major league baseball unless a huge breakout happens between the los angeles dodgers and the and the New York Yankees and maybe a couple of other teams that are vying for the World Series championship, unless there's a major outbreak, I mean major outbreak among those teams, baseball is not going anywhere. They're going to plow through these 66 days and try to get in as many games as possible. And if that means the Florida Marlin in those 66 days have to play only 50 games or 52 games or 48 games or 45 games, if that means that the New York Yankees have to play 54, 55, 56 games, then that's what they're going to do. Then that's exactly what they're going to do. According to Joel Sherman of the New York Post, seems that getting back to the story, early reports from the Phillies 
is that the tests uh, that the uh, Phillies took the uh, test and that no players tested positive. So it's important to remember once again that the COVID-19 incubation period is up to 14 days. So we should know definitively in about a week or two if the Phillies players did not test positive for the coronavirus. But it's scary because, again, those guys are going to be, um, you know, we don't know what's going to be happening with the Philadelphia Phillies moving forward. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So between before the weekend series between the world champion, the defending world champion Washington Nationals and the Miami Marlins, before that series was canceled, a majority of the national players voted against traveling to Miami to play the three-game series this weekend against the Marlins after news broke about the coronavirus, you know, within the team. Now, I don't know if this was a situation where the Nationals were, A, scared of going down to Florida because of the high rate of COVID-19 positive uh, folks living down there. I don't know if they were scared because they were uh, scared that they might get it from the Miami Marlins players themselves. They really didn't specify in the, you know, in the major reason why they were well, they were hesitant to go down and play that series before that decision was taken away from them by Major League Baseball. But the vote, according to Sherman, speaking about the Nationals not wanting to go down to Miami to play, the vote was more of a suggestion than a demand, and they were still willing to play if the games remained as scheduled. So this was a situation where I'm thinking that it's just the climate of going down to South Florida right now more than, say, standing on first base and catching the corona from a first baseman for the Miami Marlins or standing at the batter's box and catching the coronavirus from the pitcher or from the catcher or something like that. So, when I'm watching these games, man, it's like awkwardly clunky for me to watch Major League Baseball play right now because I can't get the coronavirus threat out of my mind. And I'm not sitting there talking about, ooh, I wonder if that guy has corona. Ooh, I wonder if that guy has corona. Ooh, I wonder if that guy has corona. It's just a matter of it's always on the mind because you see the batter go up to the batter's box and you see the approximation they are between the umpire and the catcher. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that ain't social distancing. You're speaking about the first baseman holding on the runner at first base. None of them, for the most part, are wearing masks. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that ain't social distancing. You see when someone scores a run or hits a home run and they go into the clubhouse and they're exchanging high fives and those type of things, you say to yourself, well, that's not uh, going by the protocol of what they need to do to minimize the risk of contracting the virus. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Something like this was bound to happen the way the players have been behaving. Not taking this seriously. And it's going to happen on some teams in baseball, in basketball, in hockey, in college football, in the NFL. There's players out there who are sitting there going, this shit's a hoax. This shit is nonsense. This shit is dubious. This shit, and you know, I, I'm more concerned about catching the flu than I am the corona. So there's going to be some players out there who are just that ignorant. There's going to be some coaches out there who are just that ignorant. There's going to be some assistant coaches or people within proximity of those players on an everyday basis that are going to be just that ignorant when it comes to taking this virus seriously. And again, that's not just to mention the fact that when you get out on the ball field or when you get out on the court or when you get out on the football field, when you get out on the ice rink, the fact that, you know, athletic 
your your competitive nature takes over and you're not thinking about whoa whoa six inches six feet six feet see fix oh that's what i forgot in the memo they said you can't do high fives oh that's what i forgot they said that you can't uh celebrate with people because of the virus this that and the other no your natural competitive athletic gifts and just everyday routine of playing that you've been playing for 20 plus years 30 plus years for some it's going to take over it's going to take over and you're going to. I mean, hell, how many times have we been in the grocery store and we haven't been six feet? How many times just being out of regular society, doing our regular everyday routine, me, you, and everybody else, how many times have we knowingly or even unknowingly broken the guidelines for maximizing the safety of not catching this virus? It's just almost human nature. So I don't know. This is not going to be the first time in this situation in Major League Baseball where there's going to be an outbreak of the virus. But then again, if you're Major League Baseball and you sit there and you cross your fingers and you say, please, Lord Jesus, don't let it be one of the teams that are vying for the World Series. Please don't let it be one of the marquee teams. I'm begging you, pleading you, praying for you. Please don't do that. Because Major League Baseball, get this, they have a 113-page operations manual, right? Right, in terms of how to do things in terms of the virus, doesn't provide an objective standard for canceling games or the season. So if there is a massive breakout, there is no, what the hell are we going to do then? The league is so focused on just one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you just to get through the day, man. Let me just get from today is Thursday. Let me get to Friday. Let me get to August 1st and then August 2nd and then August 3rd without anybody catching the virus or with anybody of any consequence catching that virus. I don't give a damn about what's going to be happening in August 15th. I don't give a damn what's going to be happening in September. I don't give a damn what flu season rolls around and the threat of catching the corona is going to be heightened. I don't care about all that. All I care about right now is today. All I care about right now is on the hour, on the minute, on the second. In terms of getting this sport forward without anybody contracting the virus, so we won't have any type of uh, repeat of what happened this Monday or this past Sunday with the Florida-Miami Marlins. So that's the deal. But Major League Baseball, don't even have a you know, situation where if something like this happens, this is what we do. In fact, the league and the union are incentivized to continue no matter how dangerous continuing to come, continuing to uh, play becomes because the players only get played for games played and owners don't make their real money again until after the uh, TV playoff deal kicks in. So, man, so my, my thing is just, it's just clear to me what the owners and the players are really concerned about. Yeah, health, no one wants to die. Yeah, no one wants to be violently sick. You all heard Freddie Friedman detail his experience when he caught the corona. So no one wants to go through that shit. But still, the main thing for those guys is just to get paid. They want to go ahead and get paid. The players want to get paid. The players want to collect them checks. And the owners want to mitigate the losses of not having a full season and having fans in the stadium. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, my my question is, and I'm asking this question on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your truly Wendell Wallace. When is it going to be where the players say, you know what, man, fuck this bullshit. Let's say what happens, for instance... Another instance next week, and God forbid I don't want it to happen. I do not want this to happen. I don't want anybody from any sport to catch the coronavirus. Nothing, none. So, please, this is not a situation where I'm hoping and hoping this happens. But, you know, just for 
the sake of discussion, I mean, what happens, for instance, in the next week that we see another team or two have the same instance that the Florida Marlins had? What happens after that? You have another couple of teams that come down where they have 13, 14, 15, 17 players that are tested positive for the virus or, or personnel that have tested positive for the virus. When does it come to the situation where the players all of a sudden just say, you know what, man, this ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Would you really blame Mike Trout, the best player since Barry Bonds in the league, a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it, on his way to becoming one of the greatest players uh, in the past few generations? Would you blame him if he decided not to play baseball this season because his wife is expecting their first child or him and his wife are expecting their first child on August 3rd? And because of that, he wants to spend some time with them and he wants to spend some time with them knowing that he's not going to be passing on a deadly disease that could kill somebody or kill his child, or put his wife in jeopardy? If he decided that, you know what, man, I mean, we're playing, what, 50-something more games left. This is a situation where this is just completely out the box. I'm done. I don't need this. I'm, my family and my child are more important than playing for a World Series championship in a 66 trump Kitted season. Wouldn't blame him. Wouldn't blame him at all. The Miami Marlins, again, played yesterday knowing they have multiple positive uh, tests on the team. What's going to stop a team from doing what the Miami Marlins did, knowingly going out there and play that they had the virus? Now, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, he did an interview with Tom Verducci on the MLB Network, and he said that the Marlins outbreak is not a nightmare scenario. Don't put this in the nightmare category. I mean, obviously, we don't want any player to get exposed um, it, it's, it's, it's not a positive thing, but I don't see it as a nightmare. We built the protocols to allow us to continue to play. That's why we have the expanded rosters. That's why we have the pool of uh, additional players. And, um, we think we can keep people safe and continue to play. What happened with the Miami Marlins? He doesn't put it in a nightmare scenario because of the protocols they put in place, such as the expanded roster and the pool of players. All right. All right. And he's confident confident that they can keep the players safe i mean i don't know i don't know and it also again it comes to personal responsibility you could put in all of the you could put in all of the protocols and everything else but again there's going to be a certain percentage of players on each team who feel that this is a hoax and they're not going to take this as seriously as others and we've seen some examples on the field where these guys are not taking this seriously so Manfred can sit there and talk about, yeah, we're going to do everything to try to keep the players, you know, safety. You can leave a, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. And if the players are going to not take this as seriously as they should, then something like this concerning what happened to the Miami Marlins is going to happen again and again and again. And there's really nothing that Rob Manfred or the owners or anybody else can uh, do about that unless you're going to put them under lock and key, not unless you're going to have guards outside of their houses, their mansions, their apartments, their condos, their townhomes, whatever they're going to be living, and making sure they don't come out and escort them to the ballpark every single day, and after going to the ballpark, and after taking their test, they have them go back home and put them under lock and key and make sure they don't do anything, which, of course, that is an unrealistic expectation, so, I don't know, I don't know, we'll see where we're going, so, and again, you, you take a look. 
about the 113-page operation manual. Again, what happens when there's an outbreak? Let me see. Let me go through the pages here. What? Let me see. That's, what chapter is that under? What is that filed under? Well, let me see. I'm at page 4. I'm at page 8. I'm at page 26. I'm at page 52. I'm at page uh, 104. Holy mackerel, I've been through the whole goddamn 113-page manual, and it says nothing about what happens if there's an outbreak on a team. All right. All right. And again, I will say it again, as it is said, the league and the union are incentivized to continue no matter how dangerous continuing becomes. And the players only get played for games and owners do not make their real money until the playoff TV deal kicks in. So it's almost a situation where, hey, look, man, you know, if people get sick, if people get Rona, if there's outbreaks and everything like that. Manage it, judge it, do the best we can, and let's just get to the uh, playoffs so we can start getting some of that money if you're the owner. So, all right. Also in the interview, uh, Manfred was asked what situation would have to take place for the season to be shut down. This is the answer that he gave. A team uh, losing a number of players that rendered it completely non-competitive would be an issue that that we would have to address and have to think about making um, a, a change. Um, whether that was shutting down a part of the season, um, the whole season, that depends on the circumstances. Same thing with respect to league-wide. You know, you get to a certain point league-wide where it does become a health threat, and we certainly would shut down at that point. My feeling is this. What's going to happen first? Is it going to come down to a point where the season's going to be shut down because the number of players who are going to be refusing to play if we start seeing outbreaks all over the league, or... Is the season going to be canceled because it's unable to contain the virus amongst the players? Which one of those is going to come first, the chicken or the egg type of situation? Because I'm thinking to myself, and this is from a highly selfish standpoint, but also a practical one. And I think one where each player really had to give some thought to. And I'm quite sure that they did give some thought to when first they were speaking about Major League Baseball was speaking about, you know, they need to maybe go ahead and start having players play you know, over in Arizona and different places and make sure to, you know, do certain things to minimize the risk. And, you know, what about this and what about that? And even during the labor negotiations about how they were going to get paid, I'm quite sure that some of these players, a lot of these players had the discussion with their wives and with their children and with their agents and with their parents and with their loved ones and with their family members about, is it even really worth it? the way things are going right now. And we're not getting better in a, in this country in terms of the rates of coronavirus going down. That's the situation. Things aren't getting better. In many states, they're getting worse. In more states than that, they're getting a lot worse. So I can understand. Again, the Major League Baseball players, they're not in a bubble. I mean, the NBA is in the safest place on earth, yet in one of the most highly risky place places on earth when you speak about Orlando, Florida, when you're speaking about the state of Florida. But yet those guys are so hermogenously sealed in this bubble over in Orlando, over at Walt Disney World, that, yeah, the chances of those guys catching the virus compared to everybody else on this planet are minuscule. If you're speaking about the everyday person living in the state of Florida, the everyday person living in the state of Texas, the everyday person that's living in the state of California. But the, the players in the NBA, the players in um, in those situations, they're at very minimal risk. 
But here, there is no bubble for baseball players. These guys are going to be traveling to different states. So you put all that into the soup, you put all that into the mixture, and I'm someone like a Mike Trout or a Garrett Cole or a Max Scherzer or a Zach Greinke or a Manny Machado or a Mookie Betts or Bryce Harper or Miguel Cabrera, Yohan Septimus, these guys who are making big-time buku money. Is it really worth playing the season and risking your long-term health? I don't know. If I'm those guys, again, I bring it all the way back to Mike Trout. Forget him contracting coronavirus and what would happen to him. What about the fact that they're expecting to have their first child, him and his wife, August 3rd? Is this a situation where, you know, he's going to come back and put his family and his newborn at risk? Why, just to play 50-something games? I don't know. The guy's making enough money. So if I'm those guys, I'm thinking to myself, damn, do I really want to put my risk in health? I've got 360-something million dollars left in the bank. I've got 200-something million dollars left to go. Left to go. Do I want to jeopardize that? Because you can't collect that money when you're dead. If, God forbid, one of these high-priced players catch the Rona and then end up being Herman Kane, if you don't know, check the news in terms of the situation with him and the coronavirus, a.k.a. he's dead because of it. So if, you know, Garrett Cole and Scherzer and those guys are sitting there talking to themselves, I ain't going to get Herman Cade by me coming out and dying on the hill that I'm playing baseball and the entertainment for the family and the friends and everything like that and, and the viewing public. But yet still, when I'm dead two months later, what is $200, $300 million going to mean for me? Nothing. I can't take it to heaven or hell or wherever I'm going or in between. So that's a situation where, again, if, the Miami Marlins, if something like that happens amongst other teams on a semi-consistent basis, I wouldn't be surprised if those high-priced players were like, you know what, man, I'm out. I'm done. I'll see y'all next season. Or I'll see y'all when you get a vaccine or whatever happens. But this ain't happening. Especially, again, when you take a look and there's so much animosity. There's so much distrust. There's so much levels of hatred between the owners and the players. If you're a player, are you really going to trust the owners in terms of making sure that you guys are really, really safe, especially when, just like the NFL, you are in the most riskiest of situations to catch the virus because you guys are not in a bubble. So if I'm one of those guys, do I really take the word of the owners to say, oh yeah, we're doing everything we can to make sure that uh, you guys are safe. If I'm Mike Trout, no, I've got too much on the line. If I'm Garrett Cole, even with the New York Yankees, the situation that they're in where they might be the heavy favorites to win this, the uh, World Series, my first year with the team after signing that big contract, no, man. I don't trust the Steinbrenners. I don't trust Major League Baseball to keep me safe. If I start seeing more situations that would happen with the Florida Marlins happen in other places in baseball in a semi-consistent way. Miguel Cabrera, no, no. Yoana Septidis, no, no, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, no. Steven Strasburg, uh-uh. Ain't going there. And let's flip the script a little bit, okay? Because I'm taking it from the player's side. If you're an owner, now maybe with the exception of the Dodgers organization or the New York Yankees organization, which are the prime favorites to make it to the World Series, the two main favorites to win the World Series along with teams like the Tampa Bay Rays and such. But if you're the owner of those teams and you're paying out them big checks, 
to these guys? Do you really want them to play and jeopardize maximizing your financial commitment to them? I don't know what type of insurance these guys have. I'm quite sure that when they negotiated the contract, there was nothing in terms of, well, if someone catches the coronavirus, this is what's going to happen to your contract. I'm quite sure it's, again, the insurance policy, I don't know how much that pays for. I don't know the details and all of these things. But if I'm the manager or if I'm the owner of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, shit, man, I'm paying Mike Trout $426.5 million for the next 12 years. If I'm the owner of the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm playing, I'm paying Bryce Harper for another 12 years at $300 million. If I'm the San Diego Padres owner, I'm paying Manny Machado another nine years, 27, $30 million to play in San Diego and play for the Padres. I just signed, if I'm the Los Angeles Dodgers owner, I just signed Mookie Betts to a 12 year extension worth $365 million. I need to get some productivity from those guys, not just in years one, two, and three in the contract. I want to get some type of re return on my investment in years nine, 10, 11, and 12 when this contract comes to an end. We've seen it with Albert Pujols. We've seen it with, um, oh my goodness, we've seen it with Robinson Cano to where, yeah, it's like, damn, you're going to give that guy a 10 plus year contract now? It's going to be nice the first couple of years, but when that guy reaches 36, 37, 38 of that contract, is he really going to be worth the money that you're going to be paying him? And even if we account for inflation with Mike Trout in the year 9, 10, 11 of this contract, that, that money that he's going to be making is still going to be a lot. Same thing with Bryce Harper, who really took a sweetheart of a deal. He could have gotten a lot more money, but he took... I mean, you know, $300 million is, I wouldn't call a hometown discount or anything like that, or wouldn't call a, a discount or, or keep it cheap or anything like that. But, you know, he could have gotten himself a lot more money. But again, in the next eight, nine, 10 years, that contract is still going to be an albatross that Bryce Harper is unable to play due to the fact that way back in the day, he never got over the effects of catching the coronavirus. So if I'm an owner of these teams, I'm maybe saying, you know what, Manny, you know what, Mookie, you know what, Bryce, why don't y'all just kind of take it easy? Why don't y'all just kind of go away? It's not like people aren't going to show up to uh, the stadium to watch you play. There's no people in the stands. So that revenue will not be jeopardized. So I don't know. And the thought had to come both from the player's side and from the owner's side. What's going to happen? What would happen to those contracts? If they catch the coronavirus that ends their careers. Because everybody's talking about corona with death. Everybody equates corona with death. And yes, 150,000 people dying. That's tough. That's horrible. That's bad. Really bad. But it's not like if you don't die, that it's a guarantee that you go, you go back to being normal. It's not a situation where if on Monday one of these players catch the coronavirus, then they quarantine themselves for 10 or 14 days, and then they come back and they're just as good as they were the day before they caught the virus. No, these are some situations where there's some long-term effects for catching the coronavirus, and the folks who know what they're doing concerning this, they still don't know in terms of what the long-term effects are. You really want to put your risk? You really want to risk your investment? And for a player, you want to risk your contract into that? Into a situation like this season? I don't know. I don't know. Now, now there's a, <laughs> I'm quite, there's 
plenty of folks out there playing Major League Baseball who still want to play the most. The minimum wage for Major League Baseball players is $563,500. So for those making the minimum wage, yeah, they want to play because they don't have the opportunity or they don't have the advantages that Mike Trout and some of these guys have who already have millions of dollars in the bank, maybe have some endorsements that they can um, kind of count toward their financial uh, portfolio that they can dip into if need be. But for the most part, guys who are making $563,000 and such, they need to keep on playing. And not saying that, you know, you can't make it on $563,000 a year. But what I'm also saying is that, you know, them checks are a lot more important than it is for Mike Trout and Manny Machado and Mookie Betts and Miguel Cabrera type money. So those guys are more than willing to play and take the risk of catching the coronavirus. And you also have to think of the young players who need six years of service before becoming a free agent. They're not going to throw away an opportunity to get closer to being a free agent. If you're speaking about someone like an Aaron Judge, who is going to break the bank when he becomes a free agent, he still has some time to go. I don't think he's going to forfeit one of the years that he can get closer to free agency by not playing, especially for him being such a focal point for the New York Yankees offense. So I don't think that's a situation right there, but something like that has to be discussed. I'm quite sure it was discussed. Now, maybe not on the owner side, because again, you know, for the most part of the 25 players that make up the squad for the franchises, for baseball's uh, teams, I'm going to go out on a limb, and this is just a guess. I'm just going to go on the assumption route that about, I would say, the owners care about maybe 18 to 19 of them. There's only a couple that they really, really care about, which is their which are their highest-priced uh, players. But um, moving forward, that's going to be an interesting thing. First, it's going to be interesting to see if, A, anything like what happened with the Miami Marlins is going to happen again, and if so, when, to who, what team, what players, and such. And B, is there ever going to come a time in these 66 days where Major League Baseball is rushing to the finish line to where we start seeing players of consequence, real consequence, say, you know what, no mas, I'm done, I'm looking out for myself, I'm looking out for my family, looking out for me, myself, and I, de la soul. So I'm thinking, what is going to come first? That, the cancellation of the season, are they going to move on? We'll see, man, we'll see. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, because someday we'll be together. Yes, we will, yes, we will. Me and Raina, someday Raina, we'll be together now. My darling Raina, girl, now. Ooh, 
A long time ago, my, my sweet thing, man. Woo, baby, you gotta love that song, boy. Flo Ballard, sexy woman, Mary Wells. I don't know, there, there, there's been a day in her life where she hadn't been looking great. And the boss, Diana Ross. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. I Hear a Symphony is always my favorite from the Supremes. But, uh, yeah, man. Long time ago, my, my sweet thing. Woo! <laughs> been digging. On the, um, as I'm doing this podcast right now, in the background, as I'm doing this, I'm watching the 1978 Super Bowl between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. Man, there's so much good stuff on YouTube, man. You could basically go back and watch almost every single uh, Super Bowl if you wanted to. I've watched the Minnesota Vikings, Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl. I've watched the Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl. I've watched the Oakland Raiders and Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl. I was around for that. This is the first, and I'm watching this because this was the first Super Bowl I remember watching. The first Super Bowl I ever watched was 1976 when I was like six, seven years old. The Minnesota Vikings played the Oakland Raiders at the time for some reason. I don't know, man. From like the age of five to like the age of seven or something like that. I was a Minnesota Viking fan. Don't ask me why. Maybe because it was Fran Tarkington or Chuck Foreman. But I remember being a big fan of, of all people, Ahmad Rashad and being a big fan of Sammy White and the Purple People Eaters with Carl Eller and Jim Marshall and uh, Alan Page. For some reason, I just, I don't know, maybe with the colors at that time. When you're six years old, when you're five years old, who knows why you like a team or not? Who knows? I have no idea. But I uh, was first a Minnesota Viking fan. Then I became a Dallas Cowboy fan for a few years because my main man during that time in my adolescence was Roger Stallback. If you take a look at my fifth grade, my fifth grade picture, school picture, you know, the class picture. I think I was in Miss Chubbick's class or Mr. Smith. No, Mr. Henderson was fourth grade. Miss Chubbick was, I forgot, man. I'm too old to remember who I, who my teachers were in uh elementary school. I just remember Mr. Henderson because he was a black guy teacher who did not take any shit from my bullshit what I was saying. I was a class clown black back in the day and them white teachers back in the day would just kind of let me run wild and I got the fourth grade and Mr. Henderson was like, uh, er, that's shit is stopping and it's stopping now. <laughs> so when I would act a fool at the beginning and Mr. Henderson would call my mom and be like, oh, my son was acting a fool, huh? Okay, we'll take care of it. And I came the next day with welts all over my arms and my legs because of that ass whooping I got for uh, acting up in class and doing everything. <laughs> I tell you one thing, that shit worked. <laughs> and ass whooping calmed my ass down. It was like, are you going to be a fucking up in school today? No, Mr. Henderson, I'm good. You go ahead and teach. And I'm not going to be bothering Kara Ingram or Kara Ingram or Erica Williams or any of them folks anymore. I'm good. I've, you've got my attention. You've got no problem from me, at least for like a month or two. And then I would revert back to my old stupid self. And then my mom would have to tear my ass back up again. And my dad would have to tear my ass back up. And I would be, I would be good for another three or four months. But uh, yeah, Mr. Henderson, that was the man. But getting back to what I was talking about with my high school picture or my elementary school picture I remember distinctly I still have this somewhere uh in the townhome me as a fifth grader wearing my Roger Stallback jersey number 12 baby number 12 so Stallback was my guy so watching 
the Super Bowl was really the first Super Bowl I was really invested in because I wanted to see the Dallas Cowboys win. You know, that was the team with Robert Newhouse and Tony Dorsett and Preston Pearson and Billy Joe Dupree and Stallback at the quarterback and Tony Hill and Drew Pearson. And you had the uh, doomsday defense <clears throat> when you had a Randy White and Ed Tuttle Jones and Harvey Martin and those guys. I mean, that was a squad, man. That was a squad. I didn't become a Washington football fan until later on after Stallback retired because, as I mentioned before, <clears throat> Stallback was my guy. But, yeah, man, this Super Bowl was just crazy when you think about the talent, man. You've got Pittsburgh with Terry Bradshaw and Mike Webster and Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer and Lynn Swan and, um, you know, John Stallworth and, you know, Damn, look at that. I'm seeing Stallworth right now run the middle for a touchdown. You know, Charlie Waters for the Cowboys. Thomas Hollywood Henderson for the Cowboys. Billy Joe Dupree, the tight end for the Cowboys. And then for the Steelers, you had guys like Mel Blunt and Jack Ham and Mean Joe Green and Elsie Greenwood and, you know, Jack Lambert and those guys. Donnie Shelb and those guys. Tony Dungy, I believe, was a backup cornerback on that team. Chuck Knoll, Tom Landry. So, Man, it's always good to go ahead and just kind of kick back and watch some of these old clips, man. Because these are the games and these are the people and these are the instances that uh, made me the sports fan that I am, man. So it's always kind of a reminder to kind of kind of revert back to that age and just watch these games and just think and just say, man, hasn't football come a long way? But you'll never see a team that's stacked. Uh, as you see with the Steelers of the 70s and the Cowboys and such, those were some really good games. Bradshaw in the center and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, man, good stuff. And it brings back good memories watching the game. I just distinctly remember watching the game with my dad in the living room. And, you know, my dad's no longer with me. So anytime I can share a, you know, great memory with my dad who I think about every day and I miss every day. And you know, when I can share... You know, those good memories, even if for a fleeting few seconds or moments, whatever. If I could spend some good times in terms of memory-wise thinking about my dad, then, you know, that's, that's, that's well worth it. So for those who don't know, for those who really want to, uh, you know, round themselves out in terms of being a really good sportscaster and everything, you know, they always say you can't learn from the, if you don't learn from the uh, past, you're down, you're bound to repeat the mistakes of it. So, you know, watching these football games and watching these things, man, always brings it back to bettering your takes and bettering your thoughts and opinions about what's going on in the world of sports today because really a lot of it's just, just a repeat of what happened 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And if you realize that, then uh, your your sports talk or your discussions about this will be a lot more educated. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, been speaking about the coronavirus. Remember, I've got my main man interview with uh, my main man, Eric G, coming up. You don't want to miss that. That was a good time talking to, talking to the G-Man. But um, that's going to be a little bit later on down in the program, down on the podcast. But um, switching back to the NFL now. If I'm the NFL... And I found out what was going down with the Miami Marlins in terms of the coronavirus outbreak that happened in their clubhouse. If I'm the NFL, this news worries me. And if I'm a college football player, coach, fan, or whatever, this news about the Marlins contracting this virus scares the hell out of me. And we've already seen it. Some of the players who opt out, 
for the 2020 NFL season because of concern over the coronavirus pandemic. You have voluntary opouts like the Anthony Thomas, the uh, kick returner for the Baltimore Ravens, and the offensive lineman for the Ravens, Andre Smith. You have Marquise Candy and Stephon Guidry for the Dallas Cowboys. You have Devin Funches for the Green Bay Packers. He says no go. The New England Patriots, they've lost a couple of really important players when you're speaking about linebacker Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung and Marcus Cannon, the offensive lineman. The Philadelphia Eagles losing wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, who voluntarily opt out and won't be playing for the Eagles this upcoming season. So according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, players will have seven days from the time the agreement is officially signed to decide whether to opt out of the season. Now, what the understanding is, is that players considered high risk for COVID-19 can earn up to $350,000 in an secured NFL season if they choose to opt out of the rest of the season. And players without risk can earn up to $150,000. So those guys are going to be compensated just a little. But, you know, different reasons for players to opt out. If you take a look at Devin Funches, who really would have helped the Green Bay Packers, I'm quite sure Aaron Rodgers is sitting there going, really, guys? Goddamn, goddamn. I understand why, but goddamn, goddamn. But if you're Devin Funches, I mean, this is a situation where he had firsthand experience with COVID-19 this offseason while caring for, for family members who contracted the virus. So he was like, no, nah, man, I'm out. I can't bring that risk. Marquise Goodwin, his wife Morgan, had a baby girl in February after suffering multiple miscarriages. I saw that on one of the NFL game day shows. That was a pretty good story. And so I can understand Marquise, a young man starting a family, his beautiful wife, beautiful child, doesn't want to put them in jeopardy. I understand that. Michael Pierce, the offensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings, he's opting out of the 2020 season due to respiratory concerns. So because he fails, he falls into the high risk category, he's going to receive a $350,000 stipend by opting out of the season. But then again, you know, Marquise Goodwin, Michael Pierce, some of these guys, DeAndre Thomas, some of these guys you might not have heard of, I might not have heard of, might not be a crushing blow for the expectations or for the win-loss percentages for these football teams. Yeah, you might be able to handle something like that. You might be better to understand something like that in terms of those guys saying, you know what, I'm out. Takes a little bit more rationale to, and a little bit more understanding, and a little bit more maturity to say, if you take Dante Hightower, that was a, that is a big loss for the Patriots. I mean, this is a guy we're talking about who's not only a three-time Super Bowl champion, he's also a team captain. He's the guy that called the defensive signals. He was going to be, you know, a situation where this was going to be the year where he was going to bring in almost an entire new group of linebackers because of the loss of Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins Sr., the linebackers from last season, they went on somewhere else for free agency. So, you know, Donta Hightower was going to be the guy who was going to be basically the main guy. Forget Stephen Gilmore, one of the best corners in the league, but Donta Hightower is the quarterback of that defense. And that defense for New England was really good. And that defense for New England is going to have to be better because of the quarterback situation that took a downturn when they lose a Tom Brady and replace him with Cam Newton. So, Dante Hightower was a big loss for the New England Patriots. But as Louis Louis Riddick of ESPN, he made an excellent point about the unselfishness and the leadership of Hightower to make that decision not to play this upcoming season. 
I salute Dante Hightower for not just thinking about himself, but thinking about others, thinking about his newborn child, thinking about relatives, thinking about his teammates, and just saying this, look, it isn't just about me. And I think me opting out is probably the best thing, not just for me, but for everyone that is around me. And I think overall, you know, society could take a lesson from some of these guys who are not making decisions just for them, but they're looking at the big picture overall. And when you hear the McCourty twins talking about the fact that they are scared about players not doing what is necessary to make sure that they protect themselves, but also protect their teammates and their brothers that they're going to be joining on their respective rosters. I mean, that's just mind-blowing to me. You know what? I would salute Hightower, too, for thinking about others, including a newborn child, family, and relatives. Nice job. Being a role model without trying to be a role model. That's basically what he's doing, looking at the big picture and realizing, you know what, man? This is just more than me. This is about others that I'm concerned about. And that's leadership. That is real, that is real leadership. It's much easier to lead off the field than it is on the field. It's much more easy, it's much easier to lead on a playing field than it is in life. Because people can talk about, you know, the players, my, my teammates and everything, they're my brothers and all this kind of stuff. And that, that may be true to some certain extent. But guess what? They ain't your brothers. You know, I'm an, I mean, I mean, the NFL football players, they're your brothers without your brothers. You know what I'm saying? They ain't blood brothers. Blood brothers are a lot closer and mean a lot more, should mean a lot more for the most part, than your brother's brothers. Now, Mikael Davis might not be my blood brother, but he is my brother, 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 brother. But, uh, you know, I die for the guy. Him and his beautiful, wonderful, fabulous, talented, awesome, wonderful, beautiful, my loving goddaughter, Cindy Davis, the two people who are not my blood kin folks who I would die for. But, you know, in the arena or on the playing field, those guys that you play for, your teammates, they are also your co-employees. You know, the real sacrifice or the real leadership or the real maturity is where someone is willing to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of a family member, for the betterment of their child, for the betterment of a kinfolk, that type of thing. So it's harder for Dante Hightower, you know, to make sure that his family is good to go by him sacrificing something that he loves to do and makes a really good living doing. And an opportunity for New England still to compete for a championship. So for all of these guys, you know, you, you have to give them a certain amount of credit, but also for someone like a Dante Hightower to say, you know what, I'm going to put personal gain over, I'm not going to put personal gain over the health risk of my child, my children, and my family, no matter what the risk is, even if it's minimal. The fact that he's willing to sacrifice is a, it's a good thing. And it's something, again, where, you know, we're always looking for athletes to be role models and you know, if they go ahead and help out a homeless person or if they go ahead and help an old lady across the street or if they go ahead and climb a tree and take a cat down from it or if they're doing these type of things, that they're having foundations for kids and all those type of folks, those people should be applauded. Those people, those athletes should uh, be applauded and be considered role modeling good people if they're willing to take their time and their effort and their finances to make this place, to make their community, to make their city, to make their neighborhood a better place to be by helping others that they don't know. I mean, that's an obvious sign. That's a person who's a really good person and a role model. But sometimes, you know, role models in leadership, those in leadership roles and those who have high moral fiber and character, sometimes it's a little bit more, it's, it's a little, 
it's a little less obvious than something that's being thrown at your face in terms of holding a bowling tournament to raise money to help build a school or to help, uh, you know, fight cancer or something like that. And again, I'm not trying to equate one over the other. Like, if you do that, you're not as sincere as those that are doing what maybe Dante Hightower are doing in terms of showing your um, uh, abilities to be a role model. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes we focus on something as obvious as that, and we don't really think about someone like Adonta Hightower and the leadership qualities that he has and the unselfish qualities that he has and the moral fiber that he has to once again put his family members over something that he loved to do and something that he could make a whole lot of money from. So I salute, along with Lewis Riddick, Pat um, Donta Hightower. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, hey man, what are we going to do with this, huh? What's going to be happening with this? You think we're going to have a football season? You think we're going to finish 16 games? You think we're going to get to eight games? I've said this before on my podcast. I think the NFL, similar to Major League Baseball, this is all new for them. And I guess, again, I'm quite sure that there's folks in football who are calling up people in baseball saying, okay, how exactly do you think this happened as far as with the Miami Marlins? How do you think they caught the virus? What procedures, what precautions do we need to take to make sure that there's not an outbreak in our locker room? Because in a locker room of Major League Baseball players, is around 25, and a locker room full of NFL football players is a lot more than 25. So if you're speaking about, for instance, if there's 30 players in a locker room in baseball, and 30% of the players catch the corona, that's 10 players, which is a lot, which is 10 too many, but still, it's somewhat manageable, it's somewhat doable, especially if you're speaking about a small market like a Florida or a Pittsburgh or a Kansas City or something like that. In the NFL, where there's, what, 80 players, and you're speaking about 30% of the players catching the corona, that means there's about 24 players then who would be testing positive, walking around in that environment. And that includes walking around a facility where they're going to be interacting with coaches and other employees of that team, ball boys and trainers and such. So it's a lot bigger risk for the NFL if an outbreak happens than, say, a Major League Baseball. So again, I am quite sure that the NFL and the folks who are mandating the stuff and the folks who are putting down the protocols are talking with the Major League Baseball personnel in that regard to figure out, you know, what can we do to make sure something like that doesn't happen. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast. So glad that you could be with us. So, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I talked about Mike Trout and I talked about the highly paid athletes who play baseball, whether it was prudent for them to go ahead and play the season. Shouldn't the same thing apply for major, uh, for the uh, football players? I mean, we're speaking about those guys. If you really think about it, NFL football players, when you speak about the hockey players and the basketball players and even the baseball players, even the football players, and maybe with the exception of boxing and MMA, but the, those who fight, those who uh, fight in MMA and fight in, in uh, boxing, they're not going to be fighting every other weekend for the next 16 weeks. So when you really look at it, of all the sports that are commencing right now or are going to be playing, the football players are at the greatest risk to catch the virus. You're speaking about 80 people 
You're speaking about a sport like football where social distancing cannot happen on any way, shape, or form. You're speaking about guys in close, close, close contact with each other. So the NFL football players are at the greatest risk, and that's the reason why we see all these players right now saying, I don't think so, I'm out of here. So again, let's speak about some of the marquee players who are playing football right now. You're speaking about Patrick Mahomes, who makes an annual salary of $45 million and a guaranteed uh, uh, total of $63 million. If you're speaking about a Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, whose annual salary of $35 million with a guaranteed $70 million. If you're thinking about someone like Ben Roethlisberger, who's closer to 40 than he is 35, who is coming off a season in which he had surgery, which caused him to miss the entire season. This is a guy whose annual salary is somewhere around $34 million with a guaranteed of $37.5 million. Khalil Mack. A defensive end, the outside linebacker for Chicago Bears. I mean, more than Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson and any other quarterback in the league. You're speaking about defensive linemen. You're speaking about uh, linebackers. You're speaking about defensive tackles, offensive guards, offensive linemen. Those guys are at the greatest risk. Those guys might be the, those jobs might acquire them outside of uh, essential workers and and, and nurses and such uh, in the medical field. These guys might be at the greatest risk of anybody walking this planet in terms of contracting this virus. If you're speaking about someone like an Aaron Donald who'd average, who has an annual salary of $22.5 million with a total guaranteed of $50 million. Again, Khalil Mack, an annual salary of $23.5 million with a guaranteed of $60 million. These guys, what their position and what their job requirements entail, these guys are at great risk of catching the virus, the way things are going right now. So, again, long-term, do these guys just say to themselves, I'm making way too much money, and I've got way too much money coming down the pike for me to be risking it all this season? I mean, how messed up would that be for those guys that say, for instance, they caught the Rona in week five, and then week seven, the season's canceled because they can't handle the spread of the virus. I mean, that's just a double what the fuck. So I would have to think that those guys would have to take a long look. Now, I'm quite sure someone like a Patrick Mahomes, who was the face of the league, who has now taken that mantle, that torch from Tom Brady as being the face of being the guy that the league is going to center itself around to promote for those, um, for the fan bases and for the sporting world. Quite sure that those guys have had a long talk, talk and, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the new minority owner of the Kansas City Royals baseball team. I'm quite sure that he's like, you know, he got the answers that he wanted to hear. And him being a guy that loves the game of football, he's going to go out there and play because he wants to be for his teammates and all those type of things. But I don't know, man. I don't know. And it all goes back to, again, the insurance for the owners. Do I really want to risk someone like a Patrick Mahomes catching the virus? Do I want to risk the career of Lamar Jackson by putting him in this environment right now? Do I want to risk the the um, career of some of my best players, if I'm an owner, by putting them in these situations right now, <clears throat> in this environment right now? <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know. I don't know. So th- th- there's more, as I mentioned, <clears throat> from catching the corona than death. The long-term effects of catching this virus includes 
the effects on the lungs and the heart and the kidneys and the digestive tract and the brain and neurological system. And there's no way you can tell me that the NFL is going to go four or five months without some type of outbreak, especially where you have just the game of football itself. Now, the NFL is taking steps, have taken steps trying to make sure to minimize the risk of contracting the virus without going into a bubble. All right. The NFL sent hundreds, sent the teams hundreds of pages of memos with instructions for, you know, doing such things as, you know, retooling the team facilities, limiting in-person meetings, remodeling the shower heads to ensure social distancing in the shower room, requiring players to produce three negative COVID-19 tests over four days before they set foot in the team facility for training camp. And then uh, they're going to be subjugated to daily testing for at least two weeks. The NFL is doing everything humanly possible. When the players leave the facility, they're going to be governed by rules, enforceable by fines and suspensions that prohibit activities such as visiting nightclubs with more than 15 people or joining a religious service attended by more than 25% of the venue's capacity. Why in the world would you even go to a nightclub with less than 15 people? Does that even make any sense? Is there a nightclub in the United States, in Canada, in Australia, in South America, in Eurasia, in Australia? Is there any nightclub that anybody can go to where there's like 10, 12 people? And how many of them are females? If I'm going to be going to a club, man, there better be a ratio of like three to one when it terms in terms of the uh, female to male uh, ratio. I mean, for every guy I see in that joint, there better be like three or four banging honeys, uh, you know, uh, as far as the ratio is concerned. 14 people, 13 people at a nightclub. Jeez. Man, you couldn't get me to go to a club like that if you were going to be playing me Nas, Rockem, The Four Tops, The Supremes, and Otis Redding all night, along with Sam Cooke and James Brown, Donnie Hathaway, Heavy D and the Boys, Big Daddy Kane. No, I'm not going to some shit like that. 13 people, less than 15 people. Not less, you know, in that club of 14, 13 of them are females, and they all look like Halle Berry. Shit, I ain't going to some place like that. So, basically, you know, that's what the league is doing. So... Good luck to them. I want them to succeed. Stop with the bullshit about a bubble. Bubble was discussed. Wasn't going to work. The players union would never go for it. It was discussed and they're just going to try it this way. I think for it to work, the players are going to have to be in a situation where, look, either you're at home, you're at the stadium or the team complex and that's it. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's it. That's all. Anyone in contact with the player, such as a wife or a child, fem- family member, spouse, a mate, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I mean, they're going to have to have almost the same type of testing and social distancing guidelines that the players would have. Now, I'm not saying it would be as stringent for someone's wife or for someone's mate or for someone's child to go through the same thing that the players are going through. But I would think that the league would want to subjugate their the people that are living with this guy do some tests just to make sure. And again, it has to be a situation where, look, man, you cannot go to the food store, all right? You cannot go to the party. You can't do any of these things. You can't have social gatherings. You can't do any of this stuff. You can Skype. You can Zoom. You can do a lot of things as far as, you know, saying what's up to your friends and your homeboys and stuff. But no, 
You can't do any of that nonsense. I would be fearful even if the player wanted to have, just walk around the block for a quick second just to get some fresh air. You want to do that? Drive down to the facility and walk around the football field and you can get some fresh air doing it that way if you want to do something like that. So for it to work, that's basically what it would have to be in. That's exactly or somewhat what the players would have to go through for it to work. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I really don't know if that's going to happen. So, again, the main concern is keeping everybody safe. And we know that that's not the case. We know we, the general public, and those with a heart, are like, yeah, man, we don't want anybody to come down with the coronavirus. And it's not just a matter of, you know, dying or something like that. I mean, everybody who has caught this and has gone through this say it sucks. It absolutely, positively sucks. So I don't want any human being, unless, you know, you're a convicted felon, child rapist, serial killer. I mean, if they get it, more, I think that's fantastic. But for the most part, yeah, we don't want to see normal, civilized citizens get this. But then it goes back to, again, how much is the league going to take into account when, say, for instance, an offensive lineman or a defensive back or a special team player or a kicker or a long snapper get the coronavirus? They can manage that. The NFL can save face with that. The NFL can sweep that under the rug. But the NFL cannot happen under any circumstances that to have players like Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson or Drew Brees or Baker Mayfield or Ezekiel Elliott or Dak Prescott or El- Odell Beckham Jr. or Aaron Rodgers, none of those guys. Michael Thomas, none of those guys. Tua Tungabailoa, none of those guys. Joe Burrow, none of those guys can come down with this virus. That would be a horrible, horrible look. Those are some of the most visible and popular players in the league. Russell Wilson cannot come down with this disease. His backup quarterback can get the virus. The third string guard can get the virus. The special team safety can get the virus. And again, this is not something where the NFL is, you know, not caring in terms of really don't give a shitting about someone contracting this virus. But let's be for real. We're just as selfish as a society as anybody else. And we don't want to see this league get shut down. We don't want to see the NFL season be jeopardized because Patrick Mahomes came down with COVID, because Odell Beckham Jr. came down with COVID, because Dak Prescott came down with COVID, because Baker Mayfield came down with COVID. We don't want that. And all of a sudden, you see folks who don't even know anything about football. You see the commentators like Lawrence O'Donnell and Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon and Laura Ingram and... And uh, Sean Hannity and those guys all of a sudden start throwing in their two cents about why the NFL season is being played and all that type of fucking nonsense. And we start getting politicians and other folks with an agenda to come in and start bringing up that noise and start bringing that garbage and start bringing up that conversation into a spectrum which I don't want them to be in because I want to enjoy my football. Again, I don't want to see anybody come down with a virus. I don't want to see anybody get sick because of the virus. But damn, I would, I'm one of those where it's kind of like, hey man, let's just go till the dying end. As long as on Sundays during the fall and winter, or at least during the fall, I can get my NFL football fix, let's go for it. And if that means a couple of players have to sacrifice by getting the virus, it's selfish, it's horrible, it's immature, it's bad that I feel this way, but don't sit there and tell me, that, uh, you know, you're not thinking the same thing in some degree. 
Don't sit there and tell me that if the NFL decided to pack up the season because on 14 teams, there's a couple of nondescript, you don't know who they are, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, slot receivers, and special teamers coming down with the virus and all because of that, the NFL is going to cancel the season. Don't, don't sit here and pretend that you wouldn't be angry, that you wouldn't be disappointed, that you wouldn't try to bargain and say, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you guys can't just hurry up and do some testing real quick and this, that, and the other. I mean, are they ins- if they're asymptomatic, I mean, they're really not in danger. I mean, maybe you can quarantine them and, you know, who knows? I just really want to see my football. Don't tell me you wouldn't have that attitude because I'll tell you right now, I'm keeping it 100. That would be me. That fucking hell yeah would be me. Man, I want to see my Washington football team play. I'm still debating whether I should even cheer for this team after the nonsense that went down with that jackass of an owner, Daniel Snyder. But uh, I want to see football, especially it's been so long since I've seen some sports. Thank you, Jesus, that you have basketball coming back. And it looks like it's on strong ground to finish the season. Not guaranteed, but there's a decent chance that the NBA season is going to go through without a hitch. Baseball, we don't know about. But God damn it, I've got to get my football fixed. I've got to get my NFL football fixed, especially if the college football season is being compromised or in jeopardy. I've got to get my NFL fix. So I'm on the same boat. I'm on the same plane. I'm on the same train as everybody else where it says, hey, man, you know what? If it doesn't happen to a superstar player or if it doesn't happen to affect my fantasy team, if it doesn't, the virus doesn't get to a player that's going to have me lose a parlay bet on Sunday. Let's just keep chugging. Let's just keep moving. Let's just keep grooving for the NFL season. Let's just get the season through, man. And let's just take it again, one day at a time. Right now, the NFL players are in training camp. I'm not interested in what's going to be happening in week one or week two or week 10 or week 12. I'm not interested in what's going to be happening later on in August or September or October or November. Hey, man, let's just have the NFL players and the NFL, the league, get through July 30th, 2020. And then after that, we'll go to uh, July 31st. And then after that, August 1st and 2nd and 3rd and 4th. Let's see if we can concentrate and put all of our powers into making sure that Nobody or hardly anybody or anybody of a consequence does not come down with this virus during that time. So, yeah, man, call me selfish. Call me irresponsible of my feelings toward just humanity. But if the virus has to rear its ugly head, let it be on a backup defensive lineman and not Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, or Patrick Mahomes. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
So, in just a couple of hours, the NBA season is going to be starting. Again, the Utah Jazz will be playing the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion, Zion, Zion! The Clippers are going to be playing the Lakers. After that, Friday marquee games include the Boston Celtics versus the Milwaukee Bucks, the Houston Rockets versus the Dallas Lucas, Dallas Mavericks. So, man, it's going to be a whole lot of games being played. I guess i got to call my cable operator and let them know that I want the NBA TV back so I can start watching some uh, games because I'm just going to be flooded watching a whole lot of NBA basketball. Really excited about one of my favorite sports being back in the fold. So if you're speaking about the best teams in the league, of course you have the Milwaukee Bucks. 53-12, and 12, you got a remaining schedule of them with the Boston Celtics, Houston Rockets, Brooklyn Nets, Miami Heat, Dallas Mavericks, Toronto Raptors, the Washington Boule Wizards, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Bucks, as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, um, best team in the league by far. One thing I really wanted to see and why I was kind of hedging my bets during this pandemic when the teams weren't playing and even when they were speaking and finally got the deal done to where they were going to be in the bubble, they were going to be playing, the schedule, the schedule was set and such. One of the things I really didn't do was to go ahead and say, okay, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, the... Toronto Raptors and such in terms of forecasting who was going to be in the NBA playoffs and who was going to be doing what because we really didn't know what the players were going to be looking like when they came back and were getting ready to play basketball and it's still going to take some time the games are still going to be ugly when the play resumes for the first couple of games because you're sitting you're thinking about you're talking about teams that are going to wretch it up I mean, this is not like the beginning of the season where you have the initial adrenaline rush because the season season's starting for the first week or two, and then after that, you know, you kind of you kind of uh, shelter in, you kind of get your routine going, and then you know that long season commences where you have the dog days and you have special days and you have Martin Luther King Day that you know get the, the players get pumped up for that, and you have some rivalries that you want to play that you know that that are that you go against and that kind of gets you up, but. You know, it kind of is a routine, it's a kind of flow that a lot of these players, almost all of these players who have played in the NBA kind of get into that was interrupted when the virus hit. So now you're looking for a lot of these guys to go 0 to 60 in terms of getting themselves mentally and physically ready for the grind of the NBA playoffs after only playing eight games after being off for four months, five months, somewhere around there, and not having a full training camp, not having a full exhibition season. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. So before all of that came through, I didn't know what player for what team of any consequence was going to come back. I mean, we I didn't know who was going to Vin Baker himself. I didn't know anybody who was going to Sean Kemp himself. And that references to those players who came back 40, 50 pounds overweight when the players went on strike back in 1998, 99, that season, basically Sean Kemp and Vin Baker ate themselves out of the league when they came back because those guys weren't in shape. I don't know what players for the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't, I didn't know what players for the Lakers and for the Clippers and for the Nuggets and for the Raptors would come back out of shape or didn't have an opportunity to pick up a basketball because of the COVID-19 virus. They were quarantined for a decent number of weeks before they could get up and start trading again. We knew that James Harden lost a lot of weight. We knew that Marcus Saul for the Raptors lost a lot of weight. We knew that Nikola Jokic for the Denver Nuggets lost a lot of weight. We have seen instances where Russell Westbrook, who tested positive for the virus but was asymptomatic and has since 
joined the Houston Rockets and is, it is participating in full uh, full everyday workouts and, and exhibitions and such. But this was a guy during the lockout, not lockout, during the pandemic when the league was canceled or put on hold. He was out there on the beaches of L.A. <clears throat> getting a workout in, running through the sand and working on the, on the beach. So we knew that there were some guys, but how many of those guys, when I was thinking about, you know, had actually picked up a basketball, had done basketball activities? Well, now I had the opportunity because I've watched some games from the NBA exhibition season, and I see that LeBron James is in good shape. I've also seen that LeBron James has a bald head in the center of his of his scalp, and I've also seen that LeBron James has some gray in his beard. Oh, man, am I getting old. So <clears throat> LeBron James looks in good shape. Anthony Davis looks in good shape. Kawhi Leonard looks in good shape. Paul George looks in good shape. Uh, ben Simmons is out there shooting threes. That's an encouraging sign for the Philadelphia 76ers. Kimba Walker still dealing with his knee injury after even four months of rest of not playing basketball is concerning for the Boston Celtics. The Toronto Raptors look for real. Let's see if Pascal Siakam had used the layoff from not playing basketball to get himself rejuiced and rejuvenized and re-energized and refueled for playing in the playoffs. He's going to be counted on. I mean, Pascal, for the second year in a row, could be strongly considered as the most improved basketball player. He made immense leaps when he became one of the focal points of importance for the Toronto Raptors winning the championship the year before. And now with him being the main guy along with Cal Lowry, he has performed in that duties very, very well during the season. Now, can he do it in the playoffs? We'll see. We'll find out. But Toronto is a team, if the Bucks are going to falter, it will be by a team like, say, the Toronto Raptors. Maybe a team like the Miami Heat, more so than I would say the Philadelphia 76ers, who I think have a problem in terms of how are they going to play with both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the floor. And who knows, the Philadelphia 76ers, if they played all their games at home, they would be one of the favorites to win the championship because of their prowess on their home court. But when you take them off their home court, they don't even deserve to make the playoffs if you take a look at their record. How is a neutral court situation going to be for them? We'll find out, but they definitely have the talent, the individual talent, to give the Milwaukee Bucks some concerns and also make some waves in the Eastern Conference. But that individual talent does not mesh together as a unit. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Joel Embiid is having a sore calf. What does that mean? We don't know, but we'll find out. Um... Milwaukee, mentioned before, they have the best player in the league, Giannis Adenikupo. At the very least, he's the number two best player in the league. They also have the best two-way player in the league. That would also be Giannis Adenikupo. If it's not for Kawhi Leonard, then he would be also in the discussion. But um, I don't fall into the narrative when you're speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks as this being an important, important, important season for them in terms of holding on to Giannis. I don't think so. I think this is a situation where Giannis is going to have to prove that he can really carry a team. If you're the MVP of the league, if you're the best player in the league, like you say you is, then, you know, you can't rely on Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs because Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs has shown that, you know what, he ain't reliable. 
Chris Middleton last year was inconsistent in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Toronto Raptors. Brooke Lopez went south. So this is a situation. The narrative is if the Milwaukee Bucks don't make it to the NBA Finals or win the NBA Finals, then all of a sudden Giannis is going to start turning his attention to one of the more marquee ball clubs to go to once free agency, once he becomes a free agent in another year or two. I don't, I don't believe that. I think Giannis is the type of guy, he mentioned before that he's a, Milwaukee guy. He likes living in Milwaukee. And Giannis is a different kind of cat in the sense that, you know, he's not one of these guys that in the offseason he's going to be hanging out playing in uh, Los Angeles down in the, in the Drew League or, or the pickup games at UCLA. Giannis doesn't have a home in Los Angeles, even though he lives in Milwaukee. He's not that type of guy. Giannis is not going to be that type of guy that's going to be hanging out during the summer and work out with LeBron James like Kevin Durant did. No fault to Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything like that, but Giannis is a different kind of guy. So Giannis, based on those things, I don't think he's the type of guy that once a little adversity hits, he's going to be sitting there looking for the best situation to go to. If he can recruit, you know, top five, top 10 players to come play in Milwaukee, he ain't going to back down from that situation. But I also don't think that he's going to be a guy that just because I didn't win an NBA championship, even though we're right there with the team that we have right now and players who I really enjoy and the chemistry on that team is great. I have enough faith in my Budenholzer. I have enough faith in the upper management of the Milwaukee Bucks to make sure that we can put a team together in a conference which is not as strong at the Western Conference when you have to deal with surprise teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder and the rising Memphis Grizzlies and you still have LeBron and you still have Kawhi and you still have AD and you still have Zion and you still have Lucas and you, Luca and you still have Christoph Porzingis and you still have Damian Lillard and you have all of these superstar players playing in the Western Conference for Giannis. What you have to deal with, what? Maybe we don't know what type of percentage he's going to come back. Kevin Durant, the always injury-prone Kyrie Irving. We don't know John Wall if he's ever going to be the player that he once was. Jimmy Butler for Miami, yeah, sure, maybe. But in in all fact, Giannis is the best player in that Eastern Conference by miles. So if he's looking to go somewhere else to win a championship, why would he leave the Eastern Conference in the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that's clearly better than everybody else, and a player who's clearly better than everybody else in that conference, why then is he going to leave that conference and leave that team to go to the Western Conference and play with them bad boys, and play with them superstars, and play with those uh, really great teams, or really great competition? So I... I, I do not buy into the, this is the year that the Milwaukee Bucks have to show Giannis that it's worth staying in Milwaukee. It really should be the other way around. Again, Giannis is the one. When Danny Green last season could hit a, couldn't hit a three to save his life, when Fred Van Vliet couldn't hit a shot to save his life, when some of the players that were keyed, like Kyle Lowry, had bad games, it was Kawhi Leonard and his superstardom that put them on the, that put them on his shoulders and led them to the promised land. He wasn't in a situation where he was looking around for Danny Green and saying, well, if you can't do it, then we can't do it. No, it's like, brother, if you're not getting it done as far as shooting, which is your main reason for being on the court, being that 3 and D guy, if you're not hitting the threes, I'm going to have to elevate my game even more, even though Kawhi was injured at the time. That's a superstar right there. That's a max player right there. That's an all-NBA player right there. That's your definition of what a franchise player does. If Giannis is truly a franchise player, and whether it be in the second round of the Eastern Conference Finals against the uh, Miami Heat or the 
Eastern Conference Finals against the Toronto Raptors, or even the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers or Clippers, if his teammates aren't pulling their weight, shall we say, if Drew, if uh, Eric Bledsoe goes back to being Eric Bledsoe of the postseasons past, if Chris Middleton is not the guy who is not that superstar number one A guy like AD is to LeBron, like Paul George is to Kawhi, then it's going to be up to the best player in the league, Giannis Adenokounmpo, to put those guys on his shoulders and lead them to a championship. Because that's what franchise players do. That's what best players in the game do. Now, it's going to behoove the Milwaukee Bucks and those players who are going to be asked, who have the task, who have the responsibility to go ahead and get that done for them. But this is not a situation where it's like, you know, hey, if Giannis plays great or if Giannis doesn't win, that it's on the other players. I mean, I'm interested to see if Giannis can still hit a 15, 18 footer. I'm, I'm interested to see if Giannis is going to eschew hitting, shooting the three point shot, the 22 foot jumper, the 20 foot jumper to spin and Euro step his way to the basket like he tried to do in the Eastern Conference Finals against Toronto last year. And they were like, no, sorry. If you ain't going to shoot it from 17, 19, 21 feet, you definitely ain't getting layups on a consistent basis because we've got Marcus Saul, we've got Serge Ibaka, we've got Kawhi Leonard, we've got Danny Green, we've got those guys who can uh, make sure that you do not get to the rim. And with Giannis still being a sketchy free throw shooter, putting him on the line also is a lot better than to get him started by doing flips and dunks and Euro step layups and such. So, you know, Giannis also has a lot to prove in terms of, uh, you know, his viability of being that guy who in the year 2023, 20, 24 for the NBA is going to be the next LeBron James in terms of the importance, in terms of the face, in terms of the influence, in terms of the greatest player in the game. Giannis still has a lot to prove because it's going to come down to Zion, Luka, and Giannis. Which one is going to take that mantle? But as of right now, I'm just really geeked and psyched to see... Um, <clears throat> to see um, Giannis play. So there you go, man. All right. Talked about a little bit about the Lakers and about the Clippers. Those two guys, you know, LeBron's looking good. AD's looking good. It's going to be interesting to see the Avery Bradley situation, the guy who was really not only their best perimeter defender, but also a guy who could knock down three-pointers. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is going to be the guy that's going to take that responsibility. Not going to be the defender that... Avery Bradley was, who's missing because of the COVID virus. He doesn't want to put his family in jeopardy, so he's going to be staying with them during the uh, playing in the bubble. But also, you know, he might not be the defensive prowess of Adrian, a, 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 Avery Bradley, but uh, KCP is a guy who can shoot just as well, or even better, is called upon to shoot uh, the three-point shot. So he's going to be that guy. I do not believe in Alice Caruso, but again, when you have someone like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and those guys are playing well, they can overcome the loss of Ray John Rondo, who's out with an injury from six to eight weeks, for six to eight weeks and such. The Clippers looking great, love their versatility, love their bench. They might not have that traditional point guard, they might not have that traditional big man, but they have the two best two-way players in the game, or at least two of the top five, when you're speaking about Paul George, who's now healthy, 
When you're speaking about Kawhi Leonard, who's now healthy, you're speaking about a guy like Montrez Harold, a really good pick and roll guy who takes the ball through the rim with authority, the junkyard dog type of guy who's going to get the rebounds, who's going to take the charges, who's going to do the dirty work inside, who's going to do what P.J. Tucker does for the uh, Houston Rockets. The Clippers are in good shape. I want to see what the Houston Rockets are going to do in terms of that, that dynamic duel of Russell Westbrook and James Harden, see what they've got. Want to see if the lost wake of Nikola Jokic has any type of effect, who I think is right now the most skilled big man in the league and possibly the best big man in the league. If Joel Embiid is going to come in uh, unmotivated and out of shape and goofing around. So there's a lot of things going on. The Miami Heat, how are they going to do now since, you know, the NBA coaches have had a chance to take a look and break down the gaze of Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, what type of impact they're going to have moving forward on the playoff, their first time in the playoffs. Of course, Jimmy Butler is going to be that guy. We know how uh, good that he's been in the uh, playoffs, especially when you take a look at last year, the Philadelphia 76ers with Butler were so close of beating the Toronto Raptors. But uh, Butler was fantastic in that series. Can he do the same thing as far as elevating the Miami Heat, elevating those players who I just mentioned, Nunn, Robinson, and Hero, to uh, possibly give the Milwaukee Bucks a strong, some strong competition? What about Bam on the Bayou? A guy who is going to be asked, along with Jimmy Butler, to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo if those guys play in the um in the playoffs of the second round and such. He's the type of guy that can give Giannis some trouble because he's athletic enough, he's skilled enough, he's big enough, he's strong enough, he's athletic enough to stay a couple of feet off of uh, Giannis when he's about 21, 22 feet away from the basket and force him to shoot that jump shot. If he does force him to shoot that jump, jump, uh, jump shot, he'll be able to uh, disturb him in a little bit of ways. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting moving forward, but uh, the game started in a few hours, and I can't wait. All right, coming up next is the interview with my main man, Eric G, the G-Man. It's a really good interview. Enjoyed a lot sitting down with him and talking about what's happening. Mike Gundy, the head football coach at Oklahoma State, and his redemption, his seeking redemption, um, talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder, the basketball team going into the bubble, what are their chances, how does he like the team this season, and also discussing this whole situation, the COVID spread amongst Major League Baseball and the Miami, Miami Marlins uh, organization within the players. So my conversation with the G-Man, Eric G, is next. <laughs> Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Now, the long-awaited first guest for Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I know people have been asking. I know people have been complaining and whining about it. Why are you going on and on and on without any guests? Well, I finally stepped into the 21st century, and I finally had the technology to bring on 
guests for my podcast. It ain't going to be an everyday thing, but you know, when you get someone like, someone like this, the guest that I have on now, you know, I got to take advantage of it. And I'm glad that this man right here is the first guest on my podcast. So this man does sports talk radio. He does a fantastic show out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 11 to 2 Central Standard Time. Him and Coach Jones on the Sports Animal in Tulsa. They do a fantastic show. My man also does some work for the Oklahoma Thunder. He's also done uh, sports talk radio in Oklahoma as well as Albuquerque. He's a longtime veteran of the business, and he's fantastic at what he does. So my man, Eric G., the G-man, welcome at the initial first guest. Of Wendell's World of Sports. What's happening, man? Well, thank you very much for uh, having me on. It's a hell of an introduction, so now i got a lot to live up to. Well, don't worry that, about it, man. You're with me, so it's like, you know, like the, the, the bar is low. The bar, <laughs> the bar is very low. It's like jumping over a leaflet, so don't worry about it. Hey, man, before I – I wanted to get into some college football, and I wanted to get into some NBA because I know you follow the Thunder and such. But before I go on, just real quick, I would be remiss. If I didn't ask you about all the nonsense that's going on down at baseball. So, first of all, are you enjoying the season the way it is right now, the first couple of games, these new rules and the fact that there's no fans or anything like that? And also, the whole deal with the Miami Marlins, the COVID-19, now what's baseball going to do? How are you enjoying the baseball season so far, and how long do you think the baseball season is going to last? I don't think they're going to get the season in. I think the Marlins was – a sharp warning, not only for Major League Baseball, but for the NFL and college football, that unless you're playing in the bubble the way the NBA does, it's going to be hard to control what people do. And that's where Major League Baseball screwed up. Instead of playing all their games in Arizona or half the league in Arizona and half the league in Florida, and I get Florida is a hot spot and putting people on lockdown, this is kind of the situation you're going to run into. I mean, they could have done it in New Zealand or Australia. They could have done it a lot of different ways that would have been better than what they're doing it right now. So it's hard for me to to see them being able to get in an entire season without major setbacks. And I think eventually they're going to have to scrap it. Um, It was nice as a Yankee fan to hear Michael K call a game. It was nice to get to see them play a couple of times uh, this this past weekend against the nationals, but, but ultimately it's hard to enjoy. Uh, you use that word enjoy, and I think that's an interesting word there because it's hard to just relax and consume sports when in the back of your mind, you're wondering how long this is going to last. In the forefront of your mind, there are so many other things going on that you can't just take the entertainment in, enjoy it, and, and hope that it's just going to continue to provide some sort of joy. Man, I, I call it awkwardly clunky. I think that's the way I describe my feelings about baseball at the beginning in terms of watching it as concerned. I love the fact that in extra innings they have somebody a second because you can't tell me, sorry, Tim Kirchin, there's never been a game where it went 14, 15, 16 innings on a Tuesday night when people have to go to work the next morning where it's like that's a great game or that was one that was wonderful to watch so some of the things that they're doing are fantastic but some of the things whatever but you know it's the way that it is let me ask you a question agree or disagree with this eric um major league baseball canceling the season more likely a couple of players from the new york yankees getting it oh my goodness we got to shut it down or you know what the entire florida marlins organization has it 
Who cares? As long as we have the Yankees, as long as we have the Dodgers, as long as we have the marquee team still going strong, we can kind of go ahead and power through a couple of uh, coronavirus positive tests on those ball clubs. But, uh, you know, I mean, but uh, but the Florida Marlins, let them go. Let them go. Who cares? Uh, it's a fantastic point. It's a fantastic point you bring up. But this will be what what brings it to a halt, because even if you've got those other teams, you still may have your are they going to continue to want to play knowing that there's a possibility that they that they could catch this virus the point that 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 that's where it all is i mean the yankees um had their schedule rearranged because of the marlins the nationals voted not to go play the marlins and as great as it is to have the marquee teams and i mean you probably could just have the dodgers yankees mets cardinals Cubs, whoever play and yeah. and be just fine, but I believe that there you're gonna. I believe that there's gonna be another outbreak through this, through another team at, at some point, and eventually all the other teams, even though they're not suffering from it, it's just, they're just gonna feel like it's too dangerous to be in, involved with this. If it was a couple of players, even say John Carlos Stanton and Michael Judge, or not Michael Judge, but uh, Aaron Aaron Judge. Even if it was those two, I, I still don't think that would be enough to halt the league the way an entire team is. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I should have said was, my bad on the question was, if the same thing happened to the New York Yankees like it did the Florida Marlins, I think the likelihood of the season ending would be greater. Not saying that it would, but as a matter of no, that's a fair that's a yeah, fantastic point. Yankees or the Mar- uh, the Marlins, you know what I mean? That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I, I think that that is a I think that it is a fantastic point. Yeah, yeah, because it's all about money. So and that's and we'll get to this just a little bit later on about when I talk about your Oklahoma City Thunder. It's about you know everybody's worried about the uh, bubble and such. Look, in every sport, there's certain players that the NBA, NFL are like we cannot have these guys get um, the COVID. Four guys getting COVID at Tenth men on four different teams in the NBA is not the same as LeBron and Kawhi. <laughs> well, LeBron and Kawhi, yikes, we're in big trouble. Everybody, don't jump off the buildings. Four guys who play for the Wizards, the Suns, and two other teams who are averaging six points a game. Okay, we can handle it. We can handle that. <laughs> that yeah, well. As long as those guys don't get LeBron sick, but no, that's that's yeah. true, and <laughs> that's the way that owners and as much as I love Adam Silver, that's the way he thinks. I mean, the minute LeBron James gets COVID nineteen, this thing's done. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, and and I'm sorry, man. Half the Washington Wizards could come down with COVID. Don't worry about it. As long as LeBron and Kawhi and those guys don't get it, we're fine. We'll we'll, we'll yeah, manage. We're, we're, we're absolutely fine. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. No one cares that those guys aren't showing up. Yeah. They just, they just don't. But, I mean, the minute something happens with LeBron James, well, we're going to have to bring this, this season to a screeching halt. And I, I don't know if that's going to be the situation. I think LeBron is too dedicated, and he's probably going to stay up in his room and stay on lockdown. And yeah. um, <laughs> you've got yeah. Chris Paul out there with a snitch line who's going to rat everybody out. So, yeah, I mean – it, look, Lou Williams was dumb in what he did going for some wings at a strip club, but 
ultimately it's Lou Williams. He's out for two games. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a loss. It's a medium sized loss, but it's not a large loss. Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. You know Zion with the Pelicans. Let's get them past the seven or eight games. Then we'll worry. Then we'll worry about someone catching COVID or a situation where they're gonna have to start missing games. I mean, if I'm the if I'm the Lakers or even the Clippers, man, I lock LeBron and Kawhi and those guys. I quarantine those guys. You know, four days before the um, playoffs start. <laughs> no, just 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 to minimize the risk because who cares about missing? Lou Williams is gonna miss two games because he wanted to, you know, go down to the joint, strip joint. But two games, the first two games, big deal. We don't want him missing game six and seven of the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. So, Doc Rivers is taking, Doc Rivers is taking notes right now. Uh, <laughs> now Frank Vogel's right now. What do Wendell say? Oh, quarantine. <laughs> yeah. oh, get this I don't done. know, man. You know, I mean, for any type of extracurricular activity that LeBron and those guys might need to keep themselves a little bit more isolated, make sure they're tested, make sure that they're negative for more than just COVID, make sure that, you know, you keep him happy for a couple of days, keep him satisfied in that room. Then when the playoffs start, you go ahead and do what you need to do and get him healthy, rip-roaring, ready to go and refresh and rejuvenate it. <laughs> I think I would do that with, uh, let me see, for the for the Thunder, we'd be doing that with Chris Paul, Shingildas Alexander. I know, man. That's, I, I, my fault. My fault, guys. Those, those guys are happily married. I shouldn't be putting that stuff in there. But that was one of the things, Eric, when I was first hearing about these guys might go into the bubble and be quarantined. It's like, you know what? For all these things these guys are bringing in, the weights and the fishing poles and the Xboxes and the PS4s and everything, there might be some other things that the NBA might allow those guys, you know, to be bringing in just as long as I, once again, they are negative in more things than just the virus. I'm sorry, the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the season might well, be over. You've, 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 you've had an Instagram model already say that she was invited into the bubble, and yeah. that's not, that is so not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I, look. Um, go look up what what the French Foreign Legion does for uh, for their soldiers, and, and I thought maybe the NBA would adopt something something very similar. But but let's give these guys a little credit because I, I mean I you're in there for three weeks, man. You're in there for three weeks now, and you're you're young, you're millionaires, you, you don't have access to the things you normally do. And so far, for the exception of Lou Williams and a couple of guys getting some food delivered. And Dwight Howard, for some reason, not believing he needs to wear a mask, it's been okay. I have been highly impressed. I mean, can it stay that way when you get to week seven? When you get to week eight, that's when you have to worry, especially about James Harden. And I'm just, yeah, with his asthma problem, I'm just joking with those guys. Those guys, this ain't, you know, the 1980s. I mean, there ain't no Norton Nixons out there who who had a side piece on every road trip that he went on. I mean, this ain't no Sean Kemp situation. I mean, those guys, nowadays, these guys are a lot more mature, a lot more aware, and, uh, you know, did a lot more scrutiny. So even if they did try to do some debauchery like that, they're possibly, they would have a much harder time doing it. So so there you go. I just want to, all right, here we go. So I want to get to this, man, because this has been bothering me. I heard you and Coach talking about before, and by the way, this is Wendell's World of Sports. 
My first guest, Eric G. You can listen to him on the Sports Animal in Tulsa from 11 to 2 Central Standard Time, Monday through Friday. They do a great job. You can check them out. If they're not in Tulsa, you can listen to them on the web anywhere in the world. Man, those two guys do a fantastic job. Eric does a great job. But I know this might the expiration date might be a little bit past, but I got to ask you a question, man. How does Mike Gundy, the head coach for Oklahoma State, the football head coach, A, how does he still have a job? And B, do you, who covers Oklahoma State, who lives in that territory, do you think that Mike Gundy deserves to be the head coach for Oklahoma State, the football program? To your second question, yeah, definitely think he deserves to be the head coach. He's been too successful up to this point for you to get rid of him and think that you can just make that a turnkey operation and replace him with somebody that can come in and pick up where he left off because that's an incredibly difficult job. And just knowing some things that Mike Gundy, that, that my co-host Pat Jones, who was is the second all-time winning as coach at Oklahoma State, just in terms of what you've got at fight administration, recruiting-wise, the type of kids you're having to recruit and develop, there it's not one of those jobs that anybody can just come in there and have success. And, you know, God bless Les Miles for the short time he was at Oklahoma State and certainly got that program on the right trajectory. Most guys that have that kind of success, you see him, you see Jimmy Johnson, they leave for other jobs. So you've got somebody who's willing to stay, loves the university, understands its culture, can sell its culture, deeply believes in the message that Oklahoma State tries to sell, that's not easily replaced. So, no, he shouldn't be fired. Um, as far as to why he still has a job, the easy answer on that is just his buyout's too big. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't fire him for cause in this situation. You may have wanted to fire him for cause. You may have seen it and thought, well, man, that was a knucklehead move. And I look. It was one thing to wear the shirt. It was another thing when the email came out a few weeks ago that that certainly spoke that Mike Gundy knew what that the, the one American News Network was was all about more than he let on. Yeah. Um, but is that enough to actually fire him for cause and not pay him out? Um, probably not. And, and it it sounds boring. It sounds technical. And I know everybody wants to do the right thing right now. Well. For Oklahoma State, the right thing is to keep Mike Gundy and to let him work through this and let this be a teaching moment and let young men learn from it that people can make mistakes and that they can grow from those mistakes. And that just because somebody thought one thing doesn't mean that they are always going to think that thing. You just have to you everybody's going to have to accept that people screwed up here. And by people, I mean Mike Gundy. Yeah. And that. You, as a young man, now have an opportunity to maybe open his mind to something that he never thought before. And and I don't think that the players should take that responsibility lightly. I think players, um, both professional and college, have have been extremely impressive over these last few weeks with as active as they've been for social justice, with the message they're putting out there, with the fact that they understand the historical significance of so many things and how this country got to where it was. And damn it, they're determined to change it. That's been impressive. 
And I should have said it. That, 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 that's 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 been impressive. But when it comes to Mike Gundy now, you've got to understand that sometimes this change doesn't happen in mass. Sometimes it just happens one on one. So if you're Chuba Hubbard, if you're Tylen Wallace, any one of the African-American players or black players, as it were, because Chuba Hubbard's from Canada, yeah. um, getting with Mike Gundy one on one, getting to know him, getting to invite him into your culture, that is just as significant as you going out and changing the mind of 100 people. Because if you can start with a guy who's like Mike Gundy, who's going to recruit young men. He's going to hire other coaches. Once you've changed his mind and he starts believing it and he starts preaching the word, man, that could be powerful. And I just hope they understand what a great opportunity they have in front of them. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Uh, you're listening to my man, Eric G. You can listen to him every day, Monday through Friday, on the Pat Jones Show as he co-hosts with Coach Jones, 11 to 2, on the Sports Animal in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, you know what? I should have set it up. In terms of why I said that uh, or why my thoughts and feelings about why does Mike Gundy still have a position, why he's still employed as the head coach at the Oklahoma State University the football program. It was because he was wearing an OAN shirt and OAN is far, far, far right. And uh, it's, just, it's like Alex. It's like a little bit right of Alex Jones. That's how uh, far right it is. And uh, <laughs> Chuba Hubbard, for the most part, saw that. And it's the middle of Twitter. their uh of their anchors wearing like the uh, tinfoil hat. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was, um, okay, it's not my cup of tea as far as the network is concerned. But Chuba Hubbard um, basically went on Twitter and he was like, you know what, Coach, I can't believe that you wore the shirt, the shirt that Coach Gundy wore when he took the picture and put it on Twitter and it offended um, it offended Hubbard. And, you know, those guys had a little talking out and Gundy had to give what about 15 different types of apologies because the first one wasn't correct, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth. So he finally got it right. And for me, Eric, it was just, that was the straw that broke the back in terms of this. If this was a one-time deal, look, you're in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'm quite sure that a whole lot of people, not just in Stillwater, but in the state of Oklahoma, as you know, being there, being born and raised there, where, you know, the OAN and that type of thing really isn't that it was not a fireable offense at all. You know, so it's not a situation where he was wearing a swastika or he was, you know, walking around with a, you know, with a white sheet and hood or something like that. It's a situation where it's a it's a T-shirt. You know, he's a man. He's past 50. He can do what he wants to. He wasn't speaking out of turn in terms of, you know, commenting on it during well, that it period. Of time. I mean, I mean, Wendell, yeah. did that. The shirt was tone deaf. I mean, it totally was. And go back to the email when you wrote and you asked them for a free shirt. That means that you've watched the network. And in the email, it says, I like what you do. So for you to be photographed, for you to put it on social media, at best, it was tone deaf. At worst, you're flat out giving the middle finger so not just your players, but to a lot, but to everybody else in this world. Who, yeah, I mean, who, who understands that black lives matter? Yeah. Okay, those are three very powerful words, and you just basically said they don't. But Eric, the alumni, this is what I'm scared of, and this is why I say he has to go. Because well, here's a guy who can't beat Oklahoma what, once or twice every 13 years. If I'm a recruiter 
and I'm recruiting some guy that Oklahoma State's recruiting, you don't think that I'm going to that guy's home and speaking to their parents and bringing up Mike Gundy wearing that shirt? No, you, t- you totally are. You, you, you totally are. And if you're the and if you're the alumni, here's the thing: you got to remember, Mike Gundy played at OSU, mm. and. I mean, he's not just a quarterback. I mean, he's probably the most significant figure in Oklahoma State football history. Outside and, of Barry Sanders. Um, I'd say even more so than Barry really? Sanders. Yes. Wow. Um, okay. he, he's, I think he's been in um, – one of the guys I work with, Bill Hasten, I think added it up. Gundy's been involved in a third of every game in Oklahoma State history one way or another. That's true. Um, as a player, as an assistant. So true. you've got teammates – that you can talk to. You can talk to Barry Sanders. You can talk to Thurman Thomas. You can talk to Hartley Dykes mm-hmm. if you're him. And, and that's, I guess that's where I'm a little confused on all this is that you have people who've been through these experiences that you've never been through that you can sit down and talk to and tell them, they can tell you what it's all about to give you a better understanding. And for some reason you didn't reach out to them, but yeah, and I'm about to go because it's about dinner time here, uh, Wendell. Sorry, but I, I think for for Mike Gundy, for everybody involved in this, yeah, you could fire him, and you know what, you you wouldn't be out of your mind to do it. The problem is, and what we've got to do, I mean, we want to systematically change what's going on. We want to systematically eradicate racism. Well, let's give somebody a chance to change their mind first. And as dangerous as that sounds, and man, look, this could come up and bite me in the butt, slap me in the face. But if he can't show contrition, if he can't show that he's changed in the next in, in the next few months, then yeah, um, I was totally wrong on that. But but I think part of this and what we've, we've got to practice what we preach for those of us that want to see this change is it starts with forgiveness. And if we can forgive somebody for like Mike Gundy for showing some ignorance and we can teach him a lesson out of this and it doesn't, I think one of the worst things we've got to in this world is when somebody says something we don't agree with or somebody says something beyond that that's really idiotic, we do our best to eradicate that person. It's no longer good enough for us to forgive and teach. We've got to make sure that that person is stamped out. We've got to make sure that they they lose their job, that they lose their, which is their livelihood, that they are publicly disgraced. We we're on this really bad, massive tear right now to just rip people apart. And sometimes, sometimes a little caring can go a long way. And look, maybe I'm maybe I'm putting my arms around the wrong guy, um, but I'd rather try that. Than just to completely just give up on someone because I I can't do that that that's me I just can't give up you know and maybe it's just me hoping that that eventually he'll see the light um but I'm gonna try and be positive on all that and I hope his arm around America and you say we forgive and you were listening and learning and learning and listening and growing and all other things but guess what if you lose to Oklahoma a couple of more times and the yeah uh, that's you're essentially, done. <laughs> no, well, you lose to Oklahoma all you want, just don't lose to Kansas State. I think okay. that's kind of the motto. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Let, let, Eric, let me get you out of here with these two quick questions. A, first, is college football going to be happening in the fall? And B, 
Man, how can because I mean, heard you and Coach, or I heard you talking on on, the, on your show about this is the most likable Oklahoma Thunder team since the days of Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook when they went to the finals against the uh, Miami Heat. And my question to you is, how in the world can any team with Chris Paul on it be deemed as likable? All right, I'll answer that first question. Yes, we will have college football. Uh, the sad thing is, is that there's just too much money on the line, and I think that the Power Five is going to power through. And then, again, I'm in, the, I'm in the kind of in the vein of saying radical things. I I think the Power Five is breaking away from the NCAA here in the next few months, and this is the the ball. This is what starts the ball rolling. Is yeah, if they yeah. is if the NCAA says you can't play football, the Power Five is going to say, well, unfortunately, you don't have that jurisdiction. We're playing anyway. You comfortable um, watching college football this year, knowing that, Eric? I'm not comfortable with it. Um, not at all. Uh, um, I, I agree with my co-host. I think these kids are lab rats. But at the same time, I live in the state of Oklahoma. I've got a son that plays high school football. It's a senior year. They're going to play. And, man, believe me, if you can play high school football in state, you can play college football. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's going to be the mentality on all this. And it would Shock. It would just shock me. Shock me. also get a job while he's playing football. You know, that, that the uh, kids in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Tulsa and such, you play on the college teams. They can't. Yeah. I know. I but, get you. I get you. I, I think eventually, I, I mean, it would just shock me if they, if they didn't at least try it. Um, as dangerous as it sounds, I just believe money's going to win out. Yep. Uh, the other thing. The, the boy other, Chris Paul. <laughs> the other thing about Chris Paul, um, because he's coming here and he's been very humble. Um, this is a different Chris Paul. Um, when that trade happened and went down, the big question was, could Chris Paul come in here and get along with his teammates? Because he did not get along with people in Los Angeles, didn't get along with James Harden in Houston. But because there aren't any other superstars on this team. Yep. And there's no one there to really share that light. And the majority of the guys on this team are younger than him. He was able to step up and fulfill that that mentorship role. And if you look at the messages that that Chris Paul's put out, one, he's the social conscience of the NBA. Um, I love hearing him talk now more than ever after after post games because of the message that, that he's bringing forth. I mean, there is. There's enlightenment there. We want our athletes to be more than than shoe brands. Chris Paul is so much more than that. Um, it, it's not just Chris Paul. There's Shea Gilgis Alexander. There's there's Stephen Adams. There are these guys who they're not superstars. They're just good players or really good players, and they play as a team. I mean, they're, they're, there's nobody on this team who, unless you're outside of Oklahoma City, you're not running out to buy their jersey right now. Chris unless Paul. You were, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even know Chris Paul. I mean, maybe Shea Gilders Alexander, if you're yeah, a basketball yeah. geek. Um, th- th- that's about it. But you put them down to win 31 and a half games and miss the playoffs, and they've you know, exceeded that by eight and a half at this point with 40 wins, and they just continue – to to exceed all expectations and, and do it with a smile and they get along and there is just you don't get you don't have the thing and I think what Thunder fans were so tired of uh, with Russell Westbrook with Kevin Durant is is the friction that kind of happened 
with those guys. And, and Fritz how it, still too while they were still on while the, they were uh, still playing, and eventually it, it ended up tearing the team apart. And then you hear that you know maybe Russell Westbrook and Paul George didn't exactly get along. It's just nice to root for people that like playing together. I mean, it's 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 a rare beast in the NBA because there's look you're talking about managing. Here's the way you got to look at NBA players. They're corporations in and of themselves. So you're managing 15 different corporations, generally with 15 different agendas. And you and while that still exists in the Thunder, and let's not pretend that it doesn't, they haven't let that get in the way. And the other thing that makes them so likable, this is fantastic, is Billy Donovan cannot play a guy for three or four games. Nobody complains. Or if they do so, it's not publicly. They come off the bench and they perform. I mean, it has just been a, a joy to watch them. And it's going to be sad when it ends because it's going to end. And when it does end this year, this team that you're seeing now is not going to be the same team next year. So I think those of us that cover the team, those those that root for the team, are just trying to enjoy it while they can because it's been such an unexpected treat to watch guys play unselfish basketball in this league because even when the Thunder were in their heyday with the Rand Westbrook, there was some selfish selfishness going on there. Sometimes it was good selfishness, but yeah, um, I mean, yeah but make a star like uh, Kevin Durant, real quick, I just want to make this one point. A, you're right about Chris Paul. When you place him with another alpha male, he is the ultimate alpha male. It's going to be friction. When he was paired with David West, he was fine, but when he was paired with Blake Griffin, ultra male, uh, uh, alpha male dog, James Harden faces the franchise before Chris Paul got there. Friction was going to happen, so I saw that. So the fact that he is now the face of the franchise in Oklahoma City, there's no one really contending for his spot at as that role. He's fine. And B, real quick, agree or not agree? Or what's your opinion on this? Chris Paul, nice guy, playing great, you know, on his best behavior, all because he wants to get traded to the Miami Heat. If he doesn't, if he the realization comes they're not going to trade him. Oklahoma City's not going to trade him. Are you scared that the Houston L.A. Clipper Chris Paul might rear its ugly head? Uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting question, and I think it, it definitely could. I don't know that the Heat are that team because Pat Riley had two cracks at him. Yep. Um, and, and turned it down. And I don't know if, if seeing this year has changed Pat Riley's mind. There's talk about the Knicks because the Knicks' new president, so Leon Rose, was Paul's agent at CAA. Um, although I think I'd be hard pressed. Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say oh. I'd be hard pressed to think that, that those two would get along. That's that's oil and water. I, Sam, what Sam Presti has shown that if Chris Paul comes to him at the end of the year and wants to be traded, wants to be traded to a contender, Sam Presti is willing to accommodate that as long as it benefits the Thunder. And yep. it, that's the thing that's in play here for Chris Paul. And what Chris Paul's got to remember is, yeah, he may want to get traded, but it's got to benefit the Thunder. And are you really going to sully your reputation if you don't get traded by the beginning of next season and throw a fit and make life miserable for everyone around you, furthering your chance not to get traded. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, it's there. And I do think the Thunder are ultimately going to deal, deal him because he's got $85 million left on his contract and they don't want that. Uh, they just don't want to pay that. Um, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, of when and who. 
The one great uh, thing about Chris Paul is he does his dirtiness in the dark. I mean, you know, it's, these rumors. I mean, you cover the NBA, so you it's one of these like, yeah, you know, I'm speaking to this insider or I was speaking to this personnel guy, and the stories they hear and they tell me about Chris Paul, not good for consumption on the air, but it's like, yeah, he does his dirtiness in the, in the dark. He's smart about that. Well, he, that, he's smart. I will, I will say that. I won't go any further than that because I'm going to talk to the guy on a daily basis. There you go. Can't bring the public consumption. But, but, he, but he is really smart, and it would shock me if he's not a GM or an ownership one day. And one of the greatest point guards he's ever played. Really quickly, I know you have dinner, so I just want to ask you just one more question. Thunder, how are they going to do going into the bubble? Uh, the season starts tomorrow, or as I'm recording this, this today, Wednesday. But uh, they were were they were they were sloppy. The starters were sloppy the last two games. It's a, it's a little bit concerning. The bench played fantastic, but the starters need to tighten up some things. The passing needs to get better. They need to learn how to hold on the ball and not uh, turn it over so much. But if Lugans Dort can actually score, you've got five guys in the starting lineup that can that can be legitimate threats to score. The Thunder have never had that since I've covered them. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. And by fine by that, I think they're good enough, depending on who they play in the first round, because matchups always key. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see them stay away from the Rockets. Although they've had success against them this year. Really want them to stay away from the Clippers and the Nuggets. If they can avoid those three teams, what? I, the I think they can, yeah, I avoid them. If they can avoid them, if they can avoid the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets, and maybe Houston in that first round, they're going to get past the first round, but they don't have enough depth in the second round to beat the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Nuggets. Um, yeah, man, because I, you just mentioned all those first I – mean, you mentioned the top four teams that the Oklahoma City if, – if the Thunder finished, what, sixth, seventh? That's unavoidable. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. It is so key in, the, in these eight seeding games to make sure – well, I mean, now, look. Depending on how serious these other teams take these seeding games, somebody could go tumbling down, and even that would scare me. Like, let's just say the Clippers were like, whatever, man, we got this, and, and somehow slid down into the seventh spot or the fifth spot or whatever, and it was four or five <laughs> Clippers or the Thunder were at the three and ended up playing a, 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 a seventh seed. I still would not like that matchup. Clippers are long. They're big. Um, they're physical and their bench is just for as good as Oklahoma City's bench is, man. The Clippers, bench with Lou Williams and that crew, which is so damn good. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that I, yeah, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. I want this thing to last as long as it can. And uh, their best hope is just get the Jazz, the Mavericks, Houston, or Memphis in that first round. And we know they're not getting Memphis. So. Well, you, you know what, man? For a team that was supposed to have 40% of his. Starting roster looked to be traded by the trade deadline, and for a team that was supposed to be fighting for the um, lottery selection, the best lottery position that they can get into, Billy Donovan and those guys have done a absolutely fantastic job, man. So, look, Eric, I know that you know I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife. I don't want you sleeping on the couch for the next week, and I don't want your kids being mad at you. So. You were talking about having to go to dinner. I smell it. It smells delicious. So I uh, I'll let you go, man. But uh, Really appreciate you doing this. Keep up the great work over there in Tulsa. 11 to 2, everybody. Central Standard Time. The Sports Animal. Just Google the Sports Animal and listen to the Pat Jones Show with my man Eric G. 
So, yeah, man, it's always good catching up with you, man. It's always good listening to what you got to say and all that good stuff. And uh, maybe possibly if, uh, you know, if you're uh, don't get too many threatening phone calls or harassment calls or angry calls when people hear this podcast, maybe I'll, I'll have you on again. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Wood. I'll appreciate it. No problem, man. You take it easy. Get past the people. Get past the hitmen. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. All right, so those that's my interview, man. That is my interview. I'll be having more interviews. I'm going to get the folks on there to talk about what's happening in the world of sports. I will. It ain't going to be an everyday occurrence and everything, but, you know, just to add a little mix, just to put a little flavor into it, something a little bit different. All right, you know, I've always wanted to have guests. It's not a situation where... You know, it was like, all I want to do is hear myself talk. And it's not about that. It was just a matter of, you know, finally getting it together to where I could start having interviews, a.k.a. me learning how to do this technology bullshit. Come on, man. I mean, you know, I'm over 50 years old. You know, I'm just, when it comes to the computer shit, man, I just know how to turn the shit on, turn on the computer, go to the internet, surf the internet, and that's about it, and look for porn. I'm joking about that part. Cherokee DS. Jeez. But uh, no, I'm just joking about that. No, but So basically, all of this stuff is new to me. And all of this stuff I'm learning about. And uh, I should have learned it a long time ago. I understand that. But, um, you know, better late than never, right? So now that I know how to go ahead and do this shit, then, of course, I'll be starting to call up folks and collaborating with others, again, to be talking about what's going on in the world of sports so you can hear a v- different voice a different conversation, different thoughts and opinions about it. And I'm really looking forward to it. I really am. I am very much looking forward. I know it can get rather mundane and redundant to just hear me every single podcast yabber on for two and a half hours. So I appreciate the patience. I appreciate the good words. I appreciate the good thoughts. I appreciate the good comments on social media. I don't worry about the haters. I don't worry about people who think that they know everything when they don't. I don't think I don't. I don't worry about that nonsense. I uh, do my podcast for for you. I do for my podcast for you out there who takes the time to uh, listen to my podcast. And it's not about you know whether you like it or hate it. I don't judge people's character. Or I don't judge how people are. You know, if they like my show, I think they're wonderful. And if I if they hate my show, I think they're assholes. I don't. I don't do that shit. I made that decision a long time ago. If I don't judge anybody based on them liking or not liking my show. You could be the biggest asshole in the world and like my show. You could be the most wonderful person in this world and think my show is garbage. That's fine. That's cool. I mean, my show ain't for everybody. 
And uh, there hasn't been anybody in the history in the world who's done any type of broadcasting where every single person says, wow, that guy is awesome. Wow, that girl or that gal is fantastic. You know, so, you know, you take the good with the bad. I appreciate the opportunity to give me a shot. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. I hope I wish you well if you don't want to listen to the podcast again. That's cool. No hard feelings. But I do my podcast for those who listen and who like the podcast. And this is who I am. This is how I do it. This is how I do my podcast. I'm not changing. I'm not taking advice from people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So that's, I've been doing this for a long time. Been broadcasting for about 20 years. I've been connected somehow, some way with broadcasting for over 20 years. Got a pretty decent idea of what I'm doing, but I'm always open to learn from those in the industry who know what they're talking about. Not someone who's just a listener. So that's my that's my deal with that. So I appreciate that. And I'm going to try to do everything I can for those who like my show to try to give you the best show that I possibly can do time in, time out. So that's that's my deal. So if you don't like me singing, go fuck yourself. If you don't like my music, go fuck yourself. If you don't like me going on about things, go fuck yourself. So. <laughs> if you don't like my corny jokes, you know what to do. So there you go. I'm out here again watching. Oh, Jackie Smith. The man was wide open. Jackie Smith in the end zone and he dropped the pass. Oh, and Tom Landry says, oh, you fucking son of a bitch. God damn it. One of the best Super Bowls I've ever watched. 35-31, Pittsburgh over Dallas. Super Bowl 13. Once we're done, I'm going to go ahead and continue to watch the uh, watch the game. So I end the program tonight or today, whenever I'm doing this, right? I'm going to be, this is a song that uh, was done by my main man, Levi Stubbs. God rest his soul. One of the best voices I've ever heard. I'm still madly in love with his voice. I've been singing this song a lot. I don't know why. Every go, every time before I go on the podcast, I always sing the song. So, I believe in you and me. I believe that we will be in love eternally. As far as I can see, you will always be the one for me. Oh, yes, you will. It's a song where it's like, look, man, you don't sing this song. Well, first of all, you don't sing this song. You play this song. You don't play this song for a female that you're looking to hit it and quit it. You know, you ain't doing, this is not a one night stand type of song. This ain't a, I've got to have sex type of song. This ain't the pure, lustful, sinful type of song that you play in that situation. Nah, man, this is the type of song by Levi from the Four Tops. This is a situation where you sing this song when you want to celebrate your anniversary, when you're with someone that you really care about, when you're with someone you want to spend all eternity with. This is something that you play your song, whether it's your soon-to-be husband, your soon-to-be wife, the boyfriend or girlfriend, the relationship that you're in, and it's strong, and you want it to be stronger, and you want to put it to the next level. It's your anniversary, and you want to just move those emotions, move those feelings about each other to the next level. This is the song you play. This is the song that you play at your wedding. This is the song that you play after he or she says, I do, when you ask if you'll marry them. This is the song that you play in celebration. This is the song that you play by candlelight. This is the song that you play when you want that romantic mood, that romantic evening to be perfect. 
And there's plenty of folks out there who can do it. There's plenty of artists out there, Luther Vandross, Sam Cooke, Freddie Jackson. I mean, there's plenty of folks out there, Anita Baker, Aretha Franklin, the Diana Ross. There's plenty of folks out there that can give you that thing. You know, Superstar by Luther Vandross. Unbelievably fantastic. Sweet Love, Anita Baker. Unbelievable. There's plenty of songs out there. Rock me tonight for old time's sake. Freddie Jackson. Unbelievable stuff, right? Right? This tops them all. This tops them all. So, until next time, I say be good to each other. Be sweet to each other. Love each other. Respect each other. Listen to each other. Learn from each other. Grow together. It's all about one love, one heartbeat, one thought of unity and togetherness. Levi, Obi, Duke, Lawrence, take it away. I believe in you and me I believe that we will be In love eternally As far as I can see You will always be the one For me Oh yes you will I believe in dreams again I believe that love will never end And like the river finds the sea I was lost Now I'm free I believe in you and me I will never leave your side I will never hurt your pride When all the chips are down I will always be around Just to be right where you
and me.